Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, your Cleveland.com Ohio State coverage team. It is Big Ten Championship Week, but we're not going to get too much into that. We have a lot of other things to discuss on the podcast this week. Uh, no guests, just the three of us. Uh, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Saturday night in Indianapolis. We're going to dig into the three Ohio State Heisman Trophy finalists and really try to figure out um, how they rank against each other. I think things are up in the air for this weekend how they compare to the other Heisman candidates. We'll talk a little bit about Ryan Day winning Coach of the Year. There are some recruiting questions and, uh, again, 167 questions from the tech subscribers. You can try a 14-day free trial. Check it out at cleveland.com slash OSU. I want to start by reading, this is self-indulgent, but what else is new? Uh, a one-star review that hurt my feelings, but also might be right. So <laughs> Hurt your feelings hurt my feelings to my very core. So I'm going to share my feelings here with the audience. And I'm going to try this today. Um, I'm going to be a little pouty about it, be a little passive aggressive about this, but I think it actually might be for the good of the podcast. Uh, from November 24th, hope you will take this into consideration. I unsubscribed today. I have been a listener since year one of Buckeye Talk, but I have found myself turning it off before I can even make it halfway. Doug, if you read this, I have a couple of notes. Give Stephen and Nathan more airtime. It is pretty clear that you have not had your hand on the pulse of the team and the college football landscape this year. It's pretty understandable given the Browns and Indians coverage you have picked up, but the rants are hard to listen to when they have no basis in fact. Let me give a couple of examples. This is, the most, this is most exemplified by the coverage of Ohio State's opponents. No beat writer should be proud that they, quote, cannot name more than one player on Wisconsin's team, end quote when they are coming to Ohio State for a top 10 matchup. There have been numerous examples of this lack of knowledge throughout the season. I want to reiterate that we all understand how busy you are, but please let your fellow hosts do the heavy lifting if you do not have the time to cover this team in detail. Give your perspective on the history, the tradition, and all of the other areas where your time on the beat provides amazing insight. Okay. So, I just want to say... Stephen and I worked really hard on that. Yeah, in New it took yeah. us. That was not the first draft. No, it it was because like it was good. It I mean it. 
There's some inside information in there that, like, maybe not everybody would know. It's like only the killer would know this. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm just going to let – let's right off the top, let's just have you guys list uh, Wisconsin's 20 best players with all your beat writer insight and with the pulse of the team that you have. And I will sit back and nod uh, in appreciation. <clears throat> well, so, Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> Jonathan Taylor. I, I know that one. Chris so. Orr. Does um, I know that? Zach Bond. Quintez uh, Cephas. Jack Cohen. Five. Paul Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Ron Dane. Ron Dane. J.J. Watt. Yeah. Joe Thomas. Melvin Gordon. Um. So anyway, uh, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna just take a little bit of a backseat this week and uh, and let everybody breathe. And also, someone else on Twitter said that I was a goofy podcast host. I try to bring the energy. That's good, though. Try to make it a little bit entertaining. I hear a lot of podcasts where people just use normal voices. So I'm just going to use a normal voice today. Last week in the postgame podcast, I stood up and screamed did. about a chicken sandwich. You did. I'm, I'm not going to do that today. Also, I got pushback on that. Some people say that some pop that so, they've had Popeyes where the spicy is baked in. I the one I had it was like the, it was a sauce. It was a sauce. Yeah. So if we have a spicy chicken controversy, maybe that's something we could deal with at a more appropriate time because this at the moment is a football podcast and we're going to talk about football. Someone reached out to thank us for having that conversation about the chicken sandwich because it gave them the information they needed as a consumer. And really, that's all we've been trying to get to this season. It's Rating all been worth food. It. That's what we want to do. We're yeah. actually food critics disguising yeah. ourselves as sports writers because. Because who wouldn't want to be a sports writer? Uh, all right, so let's talk about. Well, let's I, let's dip quickly into the idea of Ryan Day being uh, the coach of the year. Um, Nathan, you wrote about this when the awards were announced on Tuesday night. Um, I what did you guys make of the fact that Ryan Day was voted coach of the year by the media, but the coaches in the Big Ten picked PJ Fleck? I thought that was interesting. I probably, I didn't really maybe delve into that in the moment because we were trying to post something up quickly for deadline uh, or, you know, as, as the award came out. But I would have assumed that it would go the other way, that maybe the media, and I'm, I guess, crapping on our own kind here, but the media is always the one that is more likely to reward the coach who exceeded their bad preseason expectation, predictions. And that's what Minnesota did this year. But in a way, so did Ohio State. This was supposed to be the year that Ohio State wasn't Ohio State. It was supposed to be the year where they fell back a little bit, a lot of questions. Michigan was allegedly stepping up into that void and winning the East. Um, so I thought it was a combination of P.J. Fleck losing, you know, Minnesota losing the last game. So you look at their resume, and other than winning at home against Penn State, they didn't really do anything that you wouldn't expect this Minnesota team to do, frankly. Um, it's not an impressive 10-win season, in my opinion. And on the other hand, you've got Ohio State in a year that it was supposed to be a kind of rebuilding year for them, going out and instead possibly being the best team in the country. And I think that was what was recognized. But I expected that to be recognized more by the coaches than the media. And I, I it sounds like you're angling that it says something. You might have more insight into this. That maybe not... it says something about how the coaches in this conference view Ohio State, that they would still vote for P.J. Fleck. 
I'm not angling. I'm just okay. curious for your opinions. I think it went if, if <laughs> but you always have one. <laughs> so I think sometimes I might, you like maybe to, I won't. Maybe I'll I think sometimes you like to tee us up and then be like, "Here's what's really happening." I, well, that's exactly what he's going to do, and that bothers. That I'm just going to keep it in my pocket. No, you. Ahead, I, no, this is, I want you to share. I'm not saying it's not valuable, but, but I think if if Ryan Day was going to win coach year, I think it was going to come from the media, and he wasn't going to get it from the coaches. And it's part of based off of something he said yesterday in the press conference. And then he got like, it got reiterated and his face kind of like told it all. We're like, the whole, like, people didn't think we were going to be this good. Somebody, I, I think early in the year he said somebody picked them to be fourth in the Big Ten East, which I don't think anybody picked them to be that bad. But like, the, and then the, the rebuttal, I think, was Tim Mayo. Hey, do you think any of that had to do with the fact that like you're a first year head coach taking over for a legend? And he's like, yeah. But then like, he started to get into like, people just think this is just talent. And I, I don't know who asked him about like the talent thing, but like they asked, do you like, is that, and do you take that as an insult that people just think you guys are just talent? He's like, yeah, a little bit. And you could actually see him getting a little irritated on his face that people just thought that this was just talent and not like coaching guys wanting to work hard and wanting to actually do something and accomplish something this year. So I think because of those notions, I think that like other coaches know that Ohio State's the most talented team in this conference. And so, other coaches are more likely to go, well, yeah, Ryan Day did this. He's got the number two recruiting class in the country in, what, in back-to-back years, and they're juniors and sophomores right. right now, and they're peaking right now. He's got the best player in college football. He's got a five-star quarterback, one of the best running backs, and the best cornerback in college football. Duh that they're undefeated. Duh they're in a conversation for the college football playoff. But this guy over here in Minnesota – you say it's not impressive 10 wins, and you're probably right. It's not an impressive 10 wins when you look at the actual schedule and the resume. But this is Minnesota, so like winning 10 wins in a, getting 10 wins in a season is impressive when you're not Ohio State, Michigan, or Penn State. And maybe even you can throw Wisconsin in there. Everybody else, if you get 10 wins, that's pretty impressive when you're talking about Big Ten schools. So I think the media, we all kind of thought this would be the drop-off year, and it wasn't. They're undefeated, and they're probably the best team in college football, which is impressive for a guy who's never been a head coach at this level. While the coaches view it as, I mean, duh, they're doing this. He took over for a legend who had all his talent on the roster. Well, that that makes that does make some sense that the coaches will look at this and say, well, yeah, I mean, that's that's what should have been happening before. The mm-hmm. talent was there, but again, to me, that's another reason why Ryan Day should have been the coach of the year in the Big Ten because he won this award as much when he put his staff together as he yeah. did when they finally beat Penn State and Michigan in the last two games of the season. He he brought together the coaching talent that maximized the talent that was already here. I think that is another reason why he should have been the Big Ten coach here. I agree. I just think if it was going to go the way, like this is the exact way it would have gone if he was going to win coach of the year. The media would give it and the coaches would like, no, we're going to give it to the guy who we think overachieved. And this is probably the one year he can win it. It's going, no, he's not going to win this award ever again. Because now they'll never be able to overachieve. No, that's probably right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the idea of Ohio State overachieving is right. a foreign concept. Um, from the 9-4-1, their point is that other Big Ten coaches are resentful of Ohio State and their talent and all the attention they get, which is why Tressel and Meyer never won it, and the same thing is happening with Day. I think when coaches vote, they think to themselves, if I had that talent, I'd go 12-0 and too. Yep. Yeah. And but but they should also look at what Minnesota had and say I would go ten and two with that too. Yeah, like beating Fresno State and beating the the other weak teams that they beat in the Big Ten and not winning anything on the road. You're right, not that hard. It's but not it, that hard. But it is different when like you can be a five star recruit and be a bench warmer at a school 
While if you go to another school and That's, you're a three or four yeah. star, you're the superstar. And to that point of like, yeah, everybody would go twelve and zero with that record. Why are you guys having those one bad losses every year? Which they didn't have this year. Yeah, right. and they still didn't vote for him. Right. Um, and I think it's funny that Ryan Day was clearly he wasn't what, the point you guys said that he was talking about. It's not just talent, right? I mean, he was making a point about how hard his players worked for yeah. this, but there was buried within that something about. For all of us, you don't just snap your fingers and go twelve and zero, and and the argument of like, well, if I had that talent, I'd go twelve and zero. There are just enough examples at the major programs around the country, mm-hmm. and you see what's happening at Florida State and at Texas and at USC, and we've run down the list a million times of really high level programs that can get good players that have great tradition, and they don't go twelve and zero. There are only three undefeated teams right now, and I actually I actually don't know this. Now I want to monitor it. I guarantee you Ed Orgeron is the coach of the year in the SEC. 100%. And I don't know if the ACC, maybe we could look it up. Has the ACC had their vote? Are they going to, maybe they'll vote for Bronco Mendenhall because Virginia ended its 15 game losing streak to Virginia Tech and is a surprise won candidate. The division. Yeah. Won the division in that. They're in the top 25. But, but I bet you Dabo won it somewhere in there as he built Clemson into this. And so it is. Um, but probably early because then again. It, this award, this award at every level and every sport is always about who exceeded expectations. But but I would argue, and the point you guys made, who exceeded expectations? Ohio State exceeded expectations. Right, 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 right. right. But well, they exceeded expectations this season, but as a program, they didn't exceed expectations. I mean, how many times and you see it at a, a lot of levels where a guy wins coach of the year for an NFL in the NFL or in Major League Baseball, whatever, and then three years later they're fired. Dab, for just for the record, Dabo Sweeney's won it twice. He won it in twenty fifteen. Which is when they probably when they were on the rise up, and then he won it last season. Okay, and and the idea of I'll tell you what Ohio State exceeded expectations in 2014 when they won the national championship with a third string quarterback. Yeah, and again they hadn't the vote was already in the house. Right, um, it was even before the Big Ten championship game. But even the idea that they had gotten that far and they had gone through the Big Ten undefeated um, with JT Barrett as a first year starter, there are times, and now it makes me want to think this. I don't know. In 2002, Ohio State certainly wasn't picked to win the national title before the season when they won the national title. They weren't picked to win it before the season in 2014. They weren't picked to win it this year. Most of the time, Ohio State does, when they win, when they're at its highest level, they are exceeding expectations. They're not only, they're not Alabama. They're not They're not at the point where Alabama, you know, in 2006, they were wire to wire number one. Um, they were ranked very highly after that when they had guys coming back. I think maybe in 08, when they brought so many of those guys back who could have gone to the NFL, I think they might have been number one in the preseason, but they didn't hold on to it. So, I mean, the idea, it's just funny. It felt like Ryan Day was sort of giving a speech to sports writers and to fans about like, hey, it's more than talent. When actually, if you look at the voting, the people who maybe needed to be reminded of that in a speech are the other coaches in the Big Ten. I will say too, though, and I thought it was interesting, Jeff Halfley got up and gave a pretty impassioned I mean, it's, it was a softball question. Hey, who do you think should be the coach of the year? Jeff Who's he going to get up there and which say? Which are valuable questions sometimes, because I was yeah. curious how he would go. With well, and, but I thought... <laughs> he was like... Yeah, he was... He was, he he was, was campaigning for a lot of guys. He was campaigning for everybody, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I thought his, his answer was interesting, and I, I pointed this out when I wrote, in that he mentioned a lot of things that are not cosmetic. They are not obvious things. They're things that happen within that building more than they are things that you see happening on game day to some extent. He's talking about relationships. He's talking about the belief that the team has in Ryan Day and, and the way that, that uh, the coaching staff 
feels like they trust him and the way the players feel like they trust him and things like that. He's talking about a lot of intangible things and those things are very hard to get in front of people who are going to be voting on things. So I, I, that's another factor here. But again, I, I, we're probably getting a little too deep on this. Again, I think it's there's people who see, oh, Minnesota was the surprise team of the league this year. And what they what they could have been was really interesting. You know, they're you know very close to being able to be playing in Lucas Oil Stadium this weekend. Um, very close to potentially being in the, the playoff conversation, I suppose. So because of that, I think that people just automatically vote for that guy a lot I, of times. I think it, if if they had had that bad loss, if they are if they are eleven and one and they're still in this position where they're fighting for a possible playoff spot and they're still going to play Wisconsin and probably be the Big Ten champions. If he would still have won that award, because it's still by the standards of this is a first year head coach who's never coached at a college football level, replacing a legend, he still would have exceeded some expectations. But yeah, I don't think he would have won. Yeah, that's the. But then, if he wasn't perfect, I think the media would have voted for PJ. And that's to my point. I think when you're the most talented team, you have to exceed and go above and beyond. Like just exceeding exceeding expectations can't be you're supposed to go nine and three and you go eleven and one. You have to be damn near perfect and like. The best team in college football, in order, or the best team in whatever your sport is, in order to get that type of award as a coach. And it's just funny when you break it down, and you, as you pointed out, Nathan, Minnesota beat Penn State. The other two good teams in their division that they needed to win one of those games yeah. to get to the Big Ten title game, they couldn't do it. Right. And then they have played a bunch of mediocre teams. Nebraska's not good. Northwestern stunk this year. Illinois is not really that good. They didn't have any other challenges in their division. Right. There were three decent teams in the West. They were one of them, and they lost to the other two. Right. And then they had one good win at home against a Penn State team that right, is good. Possession. That is good. Right. But and they're in the top whatever. <clears throat> but like that's that's why he won cuz they beat Penn State at home by 7. Right. So, yeah. That's fine. But I mean, if you That's really, the interesting thing. If they lose that Penn State game, doesn't Ryan they probably win both halves of this. Yeah. And and I could if I in my calm, measured voice, um allowing this other person in the conversation to have a full-throated opinion as well. You're not going to let this go. No, no, no. I'm going to be passive-aggressive for two hours, and then I'm going to get out of my system. It might only last 15 minutes. I might have to stand up and talk about chicken sandwiches in a minute. It's okay. But I do think I think you could sit down with any of the Big Ten coaches who didn't vote for Ryan Day and make a case that they couldn't refute. If you just broke down and said, okay, let's break down really what P.J. Fleck did and what Ryan Day did, and let's really talk about week-to-week with what they have related to expectations, related to overall accomplishment. Let's really think about it. And when you're done, you really tell me, really in your heart, what the guy. Are they, I, I genuinely don't know. Is it, are they, can, do they make these ballots public? No. No way. No, no, no. no. The other thing you remember so here they is... They make our ballots public. The other thing you remember well, here yeah. is... Yeah, sometimes Not, individual voters make their ballots Well, for national public, stuff, but, but and, and this Big Ten <laughs> stuff, they don't. But the other thing you remember here is that this is something that... Fans, a segment of the fan base, really seems to care about, and it's something that we get to talk about and debate, but I don't think Ryan Day gives a crap. Because he knows that if you go 12-0, and and then you win a Big Ten championship, and then you win a national championship, people don't look back and say, yeah, but you didn't win Coach of the Year. They, they look back and say, what a bunch of idiots didn't vote for you for Coach of the Year. I don't agree with that. I think he cares. I think he cares about some of these awards, especially this year. I think he cares. It's why he keeps campaigning for Chase, J.K., and Justin B. Heisman candidates. Well, that's it's different. Why, it, but it's why he gets upset when you ask him things like, do you get mad when people just think he's just talent? I think this year, going forward, I think you're right. He doesn't care about it. But I think this first year, he cares about getting all he can get from this team because he knows how good this team is and he knows what type of work they put in. So I think this one year, he cares. 
Right, but I, I think he just understands that Coach of the Year is not an actual reflection of a competition. Oh, no, you're, yeah, he understands that, but like, I just, like, like, I think that's a better way of putting it to say he, like, I think this year he cares. I will say, when I was in Urban Meyer's office in September and interviewing him, he had Humble three. Brag. Name drop. No, no, no. You're like Tim May right now, man. That's, there's no humble in that. It's just that's straight. I was in I have never humble brag. I just straight out brag. Hey, uh, you know, right eyes texting my subscribers, you know, I have more than 500 of them. I give them three or four texts a day and a 14 day from truck. Anyway, he had three national coach of the year trophies in his office. He has a much smaller office than he did when he was the head coach. He had photos of his family up there. And he had a Woody, one of them was a Woody Hayes thing, one of them was a Bear Bryant thing, and one of them was an Eddie Robinson thing. And it was like busts or little mini statues of those guys. And of all the things that he could choose to put in his office, he had those in there. Mm -hmm. And those are, I don't know exactly what they were. I know there's a Bear Bryant National Coach of the Year award. I know there's an Eddie Robinson one. I wasn't sure exactly what the Woody thing was. But he never won the Big Ten Coach of the Year. And I bet if he had... It would be up there on the shelf. It would have been in there. But... This has come up before because there are a lot of cool trophy games in the Big Ten, right? The old oaken bucket, the pig, the other boat. Is yeah. there a boat, a rowboat? There's that a, a Illy, rowboat trophy. There's a, there's a corn, piece of corn. There's a, oh, well, the little, Illibuck. Yeah. The little turtle. And we have, yeah, there, there have been big good instances of Ohio State guys lifting a turtle over the head <laughs> in years past. But there, there are trophies all over the Big Ten in college football. And there's not a trophy for Ohio State Michigan. Mm -hmm. Because when you're Ohio State, Michigan, you don't need a trophy no. to know that it's important. And sometimes if you're Urban Meyer or Jim Tressel or the head coach at Ohio State, maybe you don't need a Big Ten Coach of the Year trophy. This is kind of my point. To know that you're good. So Right. But if Urban had one. It would be up on the shelf. I think it would be in his office. And it doesn't mean. But it, almost, it had almost become. I'm curious where it goes now. 40 years for Ohio State. And I told, you know, it became, I didn't realize it when I got here. It, it was a running joke among fans. I mean, every all Ohio State fans would have been able to tell you that. Trestle never won an urban. It was almost like, because you do degrade, to some degree, you degrade the trophy when the best program with the best coaches don't win it. It becomes, it's almost like, I spit on your hand, I apologize. It almost becomes like a runner-up, like a participation trophy. This is for the best coach who doesn't actually have a chance to win anything that right. matters. Here's your trophy right. for second place. And I, now this makes me sound like a homer, but it's it's based no, on it's, how people view it. And well, that's how it's been viewed. No, as someone who used to cover one of the people who would be in that position, one of the teams that would be in that position. Um, although that wasn't necessarily the case of the basketball team I covered, because pretty basketball is sure. pretty good year. And Matt Payne yeah. has won Big Ten Coach of the Year, I think, four or five times. So... But I understand that. So it's like, but Jeff Brom, Jeff Brom's really never going to have a shot to win a Big Ten title. But if he can win Big Ten Coach of the Year, that's oh, cool. And there's also that's no, actually like, the front runner for the year for the award next year. I would say there's also no like really. I mean, there's like good team. Obviously, there's like nationally great team programs in the Big Ten with basketball. But there's not like the Ohio State of Big Ten basketball. And then everybody else is just like a wide yeah. guy. But I would just say okay. Izzo might be there. Izzo, just, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, plenty of other teams in the Big Ten have like Elite Eight, that's Final true. Four appearances. Yeah, Purdue, but like, this is the example. Like, Purdue won four games this year because they were just ravaged by injuries. Not that they were going to be great by any means before then, but they had a, a bad season because some of their best players were hurt. Next year, all those guys are going to be healthy, and then they'll probably bounce back and win seven or eight games. All of a sudden, he's big and coach of the year. Do you feel like 
Brom tanked this year just to set up Coach of the no. Year in 2020. No, I don't think that. Brilliant <laughs> strategy. All right, let's let's hit on this quickly because I think it's there's an obvious answer to it, but I absolutely think it's one that needs to be discussed, and I understand why it's being asked. From the 614, do you believe Ohio State can lose to Wisconsin and still make the playoff? So that's part of it. So let's explain that first. Yes, I, I think they can because the committee is very clearly set these three teams aside, and even more so, they've set LSU and Ohio State aside as the two best teams. And I think even if they lose this game, they get in. Now, now if they were to go, if it's 59 to nothing, which would be beyond anyone's wildest imagination, but if it was something ludicrous like that, that would probably give the committee pause. I think that. But I think they still get in, sorry, but I think they still get in over a one loss conference champion who has this whole time been farther down the list. I don't think they hold a neutral loss against the number eight team in their rankings against Ohio State to the extent that it pulls them all the way out of the top four. The only scenario where Ohio State's college football playoff life is threatened is if they lose and LSU loses. Cause then like both are, I think both are kind of fighting for that number four seed because you think if LSU loses to Georgia, right, and Ohio State loses to Wisconsin, I don't think both. I think LSU I think would in get in case, over Ohio State. I think in that case, Clemson would be one. Ohio State would be two. Georgia would be three. LSU would be four. If, George, if Ohio State loses to Wisconsin, yeah, and LSU just lost to number four Georgia, yeah. they're putting Ohio State over LSU. Okay, well then maybe LSU would be two, and I think LSU would be. They would three. still both be in the. Top I think four. in that scenario, LSU is three, and then Ohio State is in a conversation with like the one loss conference champ. If LSU loses, I don't think like LSU well, losing to the number four team in the country. LSU winning or losing doesn't change the fact that the same four teams are going to be the four no, teams that I, go. Uh, I think it does. I think if both teams lose, one of those other one loss conference champs has a chance to get in. Why? Why would a Utah because now LSU is the number now be better L- than LSU? I think or now because now LSU is the four seed if they lose to Georgia. But Ohio State's ahead of LSU right now, and you think if right. Ohio State and LSU both lose, LSU would get in ahead of Ohio State? They lost to a better team. Yes, 100%. Georgia's in the playoff right now. Wisconsin's not in the playoff right now. And a lot of things would have to happen for Wisconsin to get in. But Wisconsin, All Georgia has to do is win a game, and they're in. But Wisconsin is the eight, and they are the highest two-loss team, and one of those two losses was to Ohio State Right, already. but there's still, like, Georgia, all they have to do is win. A lot of things have to happen for Wisconsin to get in. LSU would be losing Wisconsin's to not a getting better in. team. That's not the point. What I'm right. Well, the point is L- Georgia's a better team than than Wisconsin is. I don't so think regardless of who's higher, so regardless of who's higher right now, one loss to a more quality opponent than the other did in their conference championship. I don't think anybody's disputing that, but I think what we're saying is, why would that change if if LSU loses or LSU wins? Because I don't think you can have two guys who lost in their conference championship who are also one loss teams over a team who is a one loss team who is a conference champ. You oh, I don't put, think there's any anything gonna, in the playoff committee's past that would tell you that that's not completely plausible, right? I don't think there's going to be two two one loss non conference champs over a, a one loss conference champ. One of those two one of those one loss non conference champs is getting left out, and I think Ohio State would be the one who's threatened in that situation because the number one thing that they go by is performance on the field, and Ohio State and LSU's performance on the field has been the best in the country. For the first 12 weeks. So you're not valuing the conference championship at all? Uh, I value it to a certain extent, but I don't think, I don't think, uh, Utah beating Oregon or Oklahoma beating Baylor or Baylor beating Oklahoma 
is going to be enough to jump past the gap that's already there in the performance on the field. I don't think the conference championship that they're winning trumps the fact that LSU and Ohio State are both demonstrably clearly better than them all season. I think in a situation where you've got two one-loss teams, the conference championship could be a tiebreaker. But it wouldn't be – but the, that's what I'm saying. But there's not going to be a tie. The tie is they're both the one-loss teams – The tie isn't record. The tie is performance, and the performance is still going to be a big gap. That's the first thing they vote on. They don't vote on record. They vote on performance on the field. But a conference championship does matter to a certain degree. It, it matters if you think the teams are even. If it were between LSU and Oklahoma and both of them had one loss and one of them won a conference championship and one of them didn't, that might matter. It may matter. If Georgia loses, and now you're you're judging between a one-loss... Well, that's not going to happen. Well, Georgia not loses, they're not in, so that's not... No, I'm not talking about Georgia. I was trying to think of another example. But if the, it matters if you think two teams are even and one of them won a conference championship and one of them didn't. Yes, then it matters. But in the case of LSU and Ohio State and Oklahoma, Baylor, Utah, LSU and Oklahoma, it, 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 that is not going to be a tiebreaker. Because LSU and Ohio State are still, by this committee, I believe, going to be seen as the superior teams to Baylor, Oklahoma, and Utah. They're not going to have to break that tie. The tie will have already been broken by how much better they are. It's not going to come down to who won a conference championship or not. I covered this um, in the bold projections on Monday that I've been putting out. I think the thing, the only way Ohio State would be left out would be if they got blown out and something happened that they were no longer themselves. And that going forward, and I don't want to jinx anybody, but if there was for some reason, okay, Ohio State lost by a lot. They lost in a way that made us reevaluate what we thought of them. Like, we've been wrong about them. Because all of a sudden, some weakness that we didn't know existed has been exposed. And they're not going to have somebody really important for what's next. Like... I mean, it have to be fields at that point. And like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna throw that out into the world. I but understand, like, but catastrophic but, because that was an important thing. But I think that's the single one person it could be. When JT, when JT, when JT Barrett got hurt against Michigan, they wanted to see how Ohio State looked with Cardale. They right? wouldn't have that opportunity, so they time. wouldn't have that opportunity. And that was the 59 nothing in 2014 was important just because it was a blowout. But the second part of that was it showed what Ohio State could be with the team that they were going to be taking into the playoff. And to that point, if something happened, they wouldn't have a chance to show what that would be. I that mean, it's, it's point, to me, it's infinitesimal. It's infinitesimal, yeah. And I, that's, a, that's a fair point to make, but I think the counter-argument to that also gets back to what I was just saying, which is because Ohio State has been demonstrably, I hate using this word, elite on both sides of the ball thus far, I think it would almost be held against them less than a similar situation where LSU's quarterback gets hurt because LSU's case is so much more based on its offensive dominance than its uh, two-phase dominance. So I asked everybody for their Ohio State Heisman rankings, and I have not had time to tally the 167 responses we got. So I'll tell you this. What I'm going to do is when the podcast is over – as I process it, I'm going to tally up everybody's votes, and then I'm going to drop it in at some point in here. So you're going to have it in the middle of the podcast. Teased a little bit. I won't save it till the very end because that's an important part of how we're going to evaluate this. We want to make sure we have your votes for the three Ohio State guys, but um, we also want to talk about what we think about the Heisman Trophy situation. So let's get to some of the Heisman stuff now, um, and then we will come back 
after the Heisman discussion and hit more of these questions that you guys have a little bit about the Big Ten Championship game. But first, we're going to take a quick break here on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Stephen Mean, Nathan Baird, Big Ten Championship game, Saturday night in Indianapolis. Thanks for listening to Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. We're going to try to break down the Heisman Trophy conversation into a couple different silos, and then we can imagine how guys might emerge from those groups to be one of the three, four, five, or six Heisman finalists. Um, Heisman ballots are out. It's done on uh, an email thing. You have to do a double uh, confirmation of who you are. You get two separate emails. Maybe I shouldn't discuss this. It's so secure. It's very secure. It's funny to me. It comes to me on my AOL address, which is like <laughs> this super high-tech, very secure way of voting. It's is it? Uh, you've got mail? Is that right? How we get it to you, Doug? I feel like the fact that people are getting this on AOL exemplifies everything that I dislike about the high school. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I would imagine like a guy, like a men in black guy will come to your door and like just like give you an envelope. Have you vote and then like snap you so you forget who you voted for? I mean, people used to mail stuff in, man. Like they still mail in the baseball Hall of Fame ballots. Yeah, but let me ask this: my I've had my AOL for like since. No, my parents. My parents have too. Yeah. No. Show you. Show you guys' age. My parents in their seventies and eighties. What is the value in changing your primary email address? Is there something that? I mean, I have a Google address, a Gmail address as yeah, well. Yeah. But people have been corresponding with me on AOL since like 1997, and I have some email saved in there, like from 1997. And every now and then, if it's like, oh man, I'm trying to get a hold of somebody who emailed me eight years ago, like I can find their email address in there. I'm not a very organized person. I use my AOL as a way to sort of organize my past. But if I were to tell you, hey, email me at my AOL address, does it automatically make me seem like a grandpa? Yeah. Yeah. Is that reason enough to change my email? I think it's because yeah, I think it's you. because AOL – it's you because of what up. AOL signifies. Because AOL used to be the way you got on the internet. It was like this huge thing. There's people – you probably don't even remember AOL being like this massive thing. But I it was. It was like – and then exactly, it was the, it's a, it, it it is a remnant of the dial-up. The era. wild noise that it would make. I think it it's because connecting. AOL, the, the 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 brand AOL is so um, associated with the the modem sound and and all that stuff, and it seems obsolete. The fact that it's a, there's nothing. I mean, the 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 actual email itself, I'm sure, is just the same as any other email. I just know that if I see somebody email me with AOL, I'm assuming that they're over the age of 40. 100%. Well, I am. So I'm signifying who I am. Yeah, so. I don't need to be young and hip. I can't fake Good. that anyway. <laughs> Good. Congratulations on that. You're succeeding in not being that. Because if you saw someone driving down the road in a Model T, you wouldn't be like, look at that old idiot. You'd be like, that's a classic car. Because AOL is not old enough because to be it's retro a yet. Classic email. Address. Well, that's like yeah. But again, that is a classic. It's not a relic. That's the difference. Yeah, AOL is not old enough to be retro yet. But also, and I'm not going to give out. Like, I'm not, who cares? You can have it. No, my AOL address is like six letters and no numbers. And in a world where so many people's email Dougie? address is, I think it's Dougie. I said my, I signed up for and the, AOL. And the O is a zero. I and the E is a three. No, it doesn't have to be. I could be Doug at AOL.com if I wanted to be. I was so right. early on this stuff. Why would why would I give that up so I can be 
so I can be sportswriter 618z3 at gmail.com, right? I don't think my Gmail has a number. No, it does. It's got a number. But that's like my purpose, though, more than it is. Don't people have convoluted email addresses? I have a simple, ancient mine's, email address. Mine's pretty simple. Everyone, please mine's give your personal simple. email address, and then we'll move on. I said give your... Okay. <laughs> Let's start with the running backs. And let me throw out a theory, first of all, before we look at the running back stats. And what we're going to do is look at the best Heisman Trophy candidates at running back, at quarterback, at any other offensive position, and then at defensive, any defensive player. And then try to figure out who are the guys who are really in consideration. Because, again, the key thing in this, and it's what makes it difficult, is you vote for three people. You only get to vote for three people. So it's like, hey, there's seven people you might be thinking about. You've got to get down to three. It's not a top ten list. It's not the Baseball Hall of Fame where you vote for ten, up to ten. You vote for three, and they take between three and six, usually only between three and five. So what it comes down to a lot is, especially if there's an obvious number one and a maybe somewhat obvious number two, and the big group of who could be third, those third-place votes determine who gets to go to New York or not. It is so important. So this is where we're going to try to break this down. Let's look at running back. I think at running back, and let's start here, would you guys agree that there are three candidates? And they are? J.K. Chuba and Jonathan Taylor. So Chuba Hubbard from Oklahoma State, he leads the nation in yards with 1,936. He is... Second in rushing touchdowns with 21, but he is a huge workload guy. Second in attempts at 309. Almost 26 carries a game, which leads to him leading the nation in rushing at 161 per game. Yeah, I mean, I. But 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 when you look at the average per carry, it's not a bad average per carry. I mean, J.K. Dobbins is 6.63, Jonathan Taylor 6.31, and, and Hubbard 6.27. Those are essentially identical. So I think, and again, we have, people can have different rationale of things, but how much does it matter to you at running back that of the three running backs that we're going to discuss, one of them is in the national title hunt and two are not? Does that matter? I think it can matter different degrees for different positions. At running back, how important is that? I don't think it matters as much at running back as it does for maybe the quarterback position. Just because, like, I mean, you don't really have that much. I think when you play a position where you don't control if you get the ball or not, you can't really, like, put winning on the table as much as you can with other positions. Because, like, his, his like, carries depend on play calling, but it, all, it also depends on the offense and what the quarterback decides to do. If you're in a read option offense, well, if the quarterback's keeping it every time, you're not getting your touches. If you're in a pass-heavy offense and you're not getting targets, then you're not getting the ball a lot. So I don't think winning shouldn't matter that much with running backs. I don't think, I don't think <sighs> the fact that Chuba and Jonathan Taylor are not in the national title hunt will be held against him in a direct way. But I think the fact that people will look and see J.K. Dobbins as one of the weapons that Ohio State has, and they will look at Chuba and Jonathan Taylor as being the weapon that those teams have, as being the reasons why they may get more support than J.K. Dobbins. Is that, if you are a running back who is the focus of the offense, that is a plus for you? 
if you have more talent around you, that's a minus for you. It could be, I'm saying. I'm saying it could be. And I think it's more likely in the case of a running back than it is in a quarterback as far as the Heisman voting, because we've seen the Heisman definitely trends towards quarterbacks. Unless you're Reggie Bush, then it really doesn't matter either way. None of these players are doing a Reggie Bush did. No, but like Reggie Bush also played with the reigning Heisman winner and like which is like talent galore and like USC was the number one team in the country and no regardless of what he was doing nobody held the fact that well yeah you're doing this but there's also this much other his, 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 the no. running back who spelled him was an NFL player but his so. but his performance was transcendent in a way that I would argue yeah it was these, but like none this, of these running backs are it was but also he's playing with the, a Heisman winning quarterback so like there is like for the sake when, when we're talking about you know uh taxing a guy because he's playing with talent like he's a prime example of a guy who played with other talent who didn't get taxed for it well but again but if he had had one of these seasons it might have been held against him more than if he had just had a reggie bush season chuba has 11 of his 12 games where he has at least 20 carries he only carried the ball eight times against mcneese state in week two in a huge blowout so they just took him out um every other game he's had between 20 and 37 carries. He has uh, four games of at least 200 yards. So Chuba has 11 games of at least 20. JK has seven games of at least 20 carries. Chuba has four 200-yard games. JK had his first 200-yard game against Michigan. JK has carried an incredible load the past two weeks. He has carried it 67 times against Penn State and Michigan, for a combined 368 yards. And I I don't know, do you think that's a 5.5 yard per carry average, which is about a yard and a half below his previous average. Do you think that he has been such a workhorse, talking about J.K. obviously, that he is such a workhorse against Penn State and Michigan, their two toughest opponents, two tough games that they won. They won the, he was very important to them winning. But his yards per carry were 4.4 against Penn State, 6.8 against Michigan. 6.8 against Michigan is very good. Right. But he also, I mean, he didn't he didn't carry 18 times for 287 yards, right? He had to work for his right. yards. Has J.K. in the past two weeks against Penn State and Michigan greatly helped his Heisman chances, just kept them going at the same level, or somehow hurt his Heisman chances? I, I think he's probably trending up, but I think it's very late in the season to start trending up. Yeah, I agree with that. But he has trended up, and it's one because I think he's played the best competition. He's done that in the best competition of the three guys. Like, Chuba plays in the Big 12, and they don't play defense in the Big 12. And Jonathan Taylor's, like, best opponent was Ohio State, and he, you know, wet the bed again. So I think when you're, like, what's your best game and who is it against? I think that ha- that matters a little bit. And J.K. Dobbins' best games have come against Ohio State's best opponents. Jonathan Taylor had 23 carries for 203 yards against Michigan. J.K. had 31 for 211. So they had basically the same yards. Taylor did it on eight fewer carries. J.K. the last two weeks has sort of become Jonathan Taylor, right? I mean, he's become like... Now, he still has some guys on the outside, and and Justin Fields hit some deep balls, but he has has, become the workhorse of the offense for two weeks. Yeah, and and, and the other thing is, I would say, though, if he had done that mid-season... It would have definitely helped this case. The other thing, I, I, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. We always want to say, well, Jonathan Taylor is the workhorse and it's an accumulation that is respected with him, sometimes more than the performance. Well, their carries are 29 different for the season, which is like 
two carries a game. That's not a massive difference. And let's also give some respect to the fact that being the workhorse means that, and J.K. Dobbins said this to your question after the game at Michigan. It's like, hey, how are you feeling right now? And he's like, I didn't play like five second halves. I'm yeah, fine. That's what it is. And, and now Jonathan Taylor, that's actually true of him too. There were definitely some blowouts that he didn't play much in the second half. But guys like Chuba, who, who have to take a bigger workload every single week, Let's give them some respect for being able to maintain their performance all season, too. And to that argument, I think like that's part of the reason why he's trending so late is because their best two games of the season were at the end of the year. So for the majority of the season, he was a spectator in the second half. Like Literally, like in the Rutgers game, he like Coach Day went to him and said, you're done. He did the same thing in the Maryland game. While Chuba and J- Jonathan Taylor were playing opponents where, like, because they're not, like, the talent gap isn't as wide, some of these games were closer. So Jonathan Taylor and Chuba got carries in the second half. And while Jonathan Taylor, I'm, I'm sorry, J.K. Dobbins was a spectator. And he didn't get to have whatever his Heisman moment is until, like you just said, Nathan, maybe it's too late at this point to be trending in that direction. It's a little too late for a running back to be having a Heisman moment. Yeah, unless unless you're breaking off, you know, those, you know, Marshall Fault yeah. games where he was, you know, running for 300 yards or whatever yeah. for San Diego State. I mean, he's having very, very good games, but I think it's late in the season, even against this competition, to start having those games and really thrust yourself in the Heisman campaign when there are other quarterbacks who are such strong candidates. Uh, going by total yards allowed per game, and this is a simplistic defensive stat, but we're looking at simplistic offensive numbers, which matter most for the Heisman consideration, and right. that's fine. We're all busy. There's a lot to look at. Um among the top 20 defenses in the country for allowing the fewest yards per game, there are six Big Ten teams in the top 20 and no Big 12 teams. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So that is only backing up what you said, Stephen, what we all know, that the level of defense in the Big 12 is not at the same level of defense in the Big Ten. No. But I do think when you are evaluating primarily on statistics with these running backs, I think that has to be factored in in some way that it is easier for a Big 12 running back to put up huge numbers compared to a Big 10 running which back, is, right? Which is why when you're looking, you have to go, okay, Chuba's numbers are this, but what would that look like if he played for a Big 10 team? And with Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins, you have to go, okay, they, they, they look like this. What would they look like against in the Big 12? And That's what you, you have to do. If you just put Oklahoma State in the Big 10 West and told them to play Wisconsin and Iowa and Minnesota and Penn State and Michigan and it's Ohio probably six State. Or, it's probably six and a half yards per carry, which is solid, but it's not what he's doing in the Big 12. Would Chuba lead Chuba's the nation in rushing? And that's so. I do think this. So let's try to. Uh, there's not really a third guy uh, who's really in consideration. It's really not that impressive, man. Um, that who's really? It's really these three guys. I, I don't know that there's going to be any other running back. AJ. They are three of the top four in yards per game. Chuba is 161. Taylor is 146. Dobbins is 138. AJ Dillon of Boston College is in there at, at 140. He's third, but his coach got fired. Like that's he's not going to get votes. Travis Etienne from Clemson is really good. He almost has more of, of the J.K. case that we thought J.K. would might have. He's the fourth guy that I put in this conversation just because he has done so much with his proportion of the offense. I mean, he's averaging 8.3 yards a carry. He still scored 16 yeah. touchdowns. Um, he's the fourth guy on my list. But he has more of like the, oh, it's the ta- you've got so much talent more than J.K. does. Just because like well, 8.3 carries is amazing, but he's also got... Like their passing game is such like a a, a threat. Well, that, he's like, another guy. Op- who, he gets a lot of big runs because of it. And he's another guy who has a 
probably carried the ball a lot in the second half this year. Yeah, like but he, they, I, he, they they thump everybody too. I'm pretty sure he has a game this year where he has a hundred plus yards and like eight carries. Do you think right. is there a legitimate case that someone could vote Travis Etienne on their Heisman ballot as the highest running back? Yes. Uh, yeah, if you're like in that ACC area, like, and you're seeing, oh even, wow, even, he just ran an 80 yard touchdown. Even like, non regionally, I don't. Do you have his receiving numbers in front of you too? Because we we keep talking about only, this in terms of only rushing. Um, but I mean, to, I, I don't know. 8.3 yards a carry is impressive to me. He basically has a hundred fewer carries than Taylor and Dobbins, and only three or four hundred fewer yards. Yeah. Right. So he has, if 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 you know, if he had the 230 carries. He might have two thousand rushing yards, right? And now that that's it's not completely fair to project like that. It's not like he missed games because of injury or something. That's why he is he's played all twelve games. He gets about three catches a game. Okay, like that's what he's at. And which that, is which is which but is that's, solid. That's for a lot a better than, than Taylor and, yeah. and Dobbins. But like it's like it seems like he's a more he's more like so that's they 50, don't, that's fifty more touches. Or yeah, thirty five more. But touches they don't right throw there. Wisconsin and like. Etienne just seems like he's more involved in the passing game than like they use the running backs for Ohio State. Well, but that, I don't hold that against him as no, far no, as no, his candidacy. No, 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 it's not. It's just, actually enhancing it's just, his candidacy. It's just, it's just putting things in the context. Basically. In, in uh, yards from scrimmage, which is rushing and receiving combined, Chuba's first, Taylor is second, Dobbins is fifth, ATN is eighth. Okay. So ATN um, does have more receiving yards than Hubbard or Taylor. Yeah. Or Dobbins. So that moves him up a little bit. So he's averaging 140 yards from scrimmage per game. Dobbins is averaging 155. Taylor 164. Hubbard 177. I, it's fair to put him in the conversation just from a bang for buck perspective. Um, I, I guess I wouldn't uh, fully criticize anyone for voting him as the, the first running back. I just, I wouldn't. Okay, so who do we think is the best running back candidate? For the Heisman Trophy of these four. Well, just, right to, cl- now, just to clarify, who yeah. would we vote for or who do we think is the best Heisman candidate? Because those are two different questions. Both. I think... I, I guess we're trying to sort out, we're trying to give people a glance. These are going to be unveiled on Monday after the conference championship games. Yeah. Mon- Saturday are the final games. Sunday is the playoff announcement. Monday is the Heisman announcement. Mm-hmm. The one thing about the Heisman voting now is that it's not even uh, even if you use an AOL address, I think the ballots are due at like I think they're due at like noon on Monday, and the finalists are announced at like six on Monday. Like they have someone in there who can count. There's a person in a room, and the email comes in, and they have a big legal pad, and they read every email. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's a robot. Um, it's a database. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's have one more data point in here, though. Ohio State has another very productive running back on its roster. When people look at Ohio State stats, they're going to look at that and yeah. see another guy who piled up a lot of yards. And I don't know they're going. I don't know how that factors into people. Well, how, do you, how do you think it factors? I think there are people who could potentially look at that and again use it as a further evidence that Dobbins didn't have to carry the load that these other running backs did. Yeah, I think Teague's a great running back, but a lot of his like his yards are a product of they're up by 50, and so he's getting a lot more carries than maybe he... I think it, but he, the average Heisman voter doesn't do that much research, I don't think. No, but you you don't, you don't have to do research to just look at... Like, this, like, if you, like if I pull up the game log... It I don't think they do that kind of research. You don't think they go to... No. Come I, on, Heisman voters! You know how, like... Uh, how much sleep are we getting right now? Oh, it's not happening. That's not. We're working constantly? Yeah. 
attempting at times to see our loved ones. I have an alarm go off every like three hours just to make like, sure. I have, to, I have to vote for the AP All-American team sometime this week, and I don't know when that's yeah. going to happen. So until they pay me for my Heisman vote, I'll do my best. Right. But my time is... The time that I have in my day, I'm either getting paid for it, right. yes, or true. I'm spending it with my family, or I'm trying to keep myself from dying. I mean, so the Heisman yeah. voting is does not fit in any of those. That's those a really but, good but, way but to that's not a dispute of what I'm saying. Students. That's not a dispute of what I'm saying. That's, no, it's, that, no, no, it's no, not. I'm saying it's like, like come on. As much right. as we said, there's a bunch of dumb old Heisman voters, and there are. There's a lot the of one thing guys about this too. Is, as much as we all have criticized, and I have criticized voters, AP voters, Heisman voters, all American voters. Preseason Cleveland.com Big Ten voters that get it wrong. Here's the real deal. There are very few people in the country who cover college football as a whole. Most people cover a very specific slice, either a team, maybe a conference. And when you cover a team, you are paid to cover that team. We are experts, although this one person doesn't think I am. <laughs> we are experts on the team that we cover. I don't have time to be an expert on anybody else. Yes. So he... I do my best. A lot of it is perception. A lot of it is easy, raw stats. Well, And, you and could, that's the way it has to be. You could also argue that it's the Heisman Trophy. It shouldn't be going to the 5th, 6th, 7th level and parsing numbers. It should be... Two by four to the face. That's like this guy's okay, great. Okay, so I'm not a Heisman voter. If I was a Heisman voter, I'm just giving my like the things I would look at. Obviously, I'm going to look at the raw stats, but like I don't think it would take like that much more extra time out of the day that I already don't get sleep in to go two inches to the left just to see who won the game. That's like that's all I'm saying. Like, if I, I'm not saying that anybody, Doug, you don't have to do this. Anybody else out there of the nine thousand people who vote for the Heisman, you don't have to do this either. Nine hundred. Yeah. It's still a big number. Sorry. Yeah. It's 900 funny, people. You said 9,000. It is actually 900. 900 people. That's the actual number. Yeah. Who vote for the Heisman. You can do it however you want. I'm just, if I were, I would just like, if I could take two extra seconds to just look to the left and it would provide context for people like Master Teague. That's all that's doing. That's not even extra work. So I, I will you say do what you want to do. the way that I look at it is, and I've said this on this podcast before, so if you have heard it before, I apologize. I think the Heisman, more than any other award, it's not called MVP or Most Outstanding Player. It's the Heisman. And I think everybody knows what the Heisman means. There's a Heisman house. It's not called the best stats in a college football season house. Right. The Heisman, to me, is maybe the greatest award in American sport because it is all-encompassing. And to me, it is the player who helps tell the story of that college football season. Of course, stats matter. Of course, winning matters. Of course, great, memorable performances matter. They all matter. But to me, when I tell the story of this college football season, the story of this college football season does not have anything to do with okay. some guy running for 1,900 yards for 8-4 and four Oklahoma State. And I apologize. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I agree and with that. In the yeah. past, and I think you made this point, sometimes... When Barry Sanders did it at Oklahoma State and they weren't that good, that absolutely was the because story. They it's, the, it's the way you do it. Because that guy was rare. Right. And Chuba's not Barry Sanders. It's not a criticism. But if you're not going to play for a winning team, you have to do things that people have never seen and people will always remember. And I don't think Chuba rises to that. So, so that no. ar- ar- in that argument, none of these three got Right. None of these four guys rise to the level of that argument. So he just right. spent 20 minutes like... Who's closest? 
I don't know that any of these three. I mean, the one that's closest is J.K. Um, well, the one that's closest to what you're talking about, the Heisman thing, which goes beyond production and goes to like narrative and, pres- and all that stuff. The closest is Jonathan Taylor, based on just like reputation and what people think of him. I'm not saying that's reality, but I'm saying he's the one probably still most likely to get support. So let's do our. How would we? How would we rank these four guys? Maybe we disagree, but let's do this so we can move on to quarterback. I think I would rank Dobbins, Taylor, uh, Dobbins, Tubber, Hubbard, Hubbard, Dobbins, Taylor, Hubbard, ATN, and it's just an apology to Travis ATN that his raw numbers just aren't there. And Clemson is very good, obviously, but they have not been the dominant team. Um, and he, as much as Ohio State has other Heisman candidates, he has another Heisman candidate on his team too. My order would be Dobbins and Taylor at the top, the only two who would gain any consideration. And I do believe that J.K. Dobbins has a chance to make a case for himself by being the best running back on the field in Indianapolis on Saturday on national TV two days before the ballots are due. If you watch that game, and a lot of Heisman voters will, if you watch that game and you say to yourself, there is no doubt who the best running back in this game is, I think that will have an effect on people's votes. That's fair, because during the broadcast, they'll also be pointing out that they had the exact same number of carries the first time they played, and Dobbins more than tripled them up in yardage. And again, they're not playing the same defense, but yes, it's a fair point. Nathan? I'm like Doc. I would would go I would go Dobbins, Chuba, Taylor, Etienne. Uh, I'm going to go Dobbins number one. For the reasons Doug just named, but also like if he does that twice in a season where he just complete, like if take, like if Taylor just doesn't like perform at all and John and JK Dobbins has like 150 yards, like it's clear that he's number one in that category. <sighs> Travis Etienne is last. Taylor and, and Chuba is hard because Chuba's like in the race and like, and you make a solid point about the Barry Sanders thing. But I don't know how many games Oklahoma State has won without Chuba. So. I don't want to sound dismissive of people that I don't cover and act like I don't have the pulse of college football. <laughs> I don't care. I just, like, I, I like feel like. His I, stats are great. Whether he made just, Oklahoma State 84 no, okay. instead of 6 and my 6. My argument. Like, I don't care. And here's my argument. Okay, here's the, the real argument I'm making. Like, we've seen people in minute, in, Wisconsin system do what Jonathan Taylor is doing before. So, like, I don't know if Jonathan Taylor is that good or if he's just a byproduct of that system. I know that Chuba is, like, that good because the running back at Oklahoma State before him was not doing what Chuba is doing. So, no, that's my answer. Yeah, Chuba's number two, Taylor's number three, and Travis Etienne's four. Just but we think nationally, who do we think nationally is going to... Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor. Do we agree with well, that? Right, well, no. Right now, like looking around, like they're saying Chuba's number one, Jonathan Taylor's number two, and JK's number three. Right now, you think Chuba would get more Heisman votes than Taylor? Yeah. He might, because he's got 175 more yards, and I think there's people who yeah, vote think so. that. They see the touchdowns are basically the same. They see the average is basically the same. Actually, yeah, I would probably change. I would probably say right now, today, Chuba's probably number one. Yeah. Taylor, two? Probably, yeah. We sound like homers. So we all put JK number I don't, I, oh no! I don't think we. I mean, I think we documented. Well, no, why yeah, we, we're we're right. It's just you know. All right, let's move to quarterback. We could spend a lot of time on this, and we will. We'll move a little quicker, I think. Are these the candidates? I'm just going to throw out a wide net, and you guys pull the guys out that you think are not candidates. Tuatonga Vailoa from Alabama, Joe Burrow from LSU, Jalen Hurts from Oklahoma, Justin Fields from Ohio State, Trevor Lawrence from Clemson. 
Justin Herbert from Oregon. And I do think geography matters, matters a little bit. I think he's the best candidate on the West Coast. And they always they break down the voting by region. And the reason they do that is because there is a regional bias in the voting. And there always has been. And there always will be. And they don't try to eliminate it. They try to account for it. That's why the voting is spread out so that the regions are equal. When they have nine, it's actually it's 870 media voters and about 60 former Heisman winners. When they spread those out, they have, I think it's five regions or six regions. I got, a, I got my book. I didn't bring it. Might be six regions. It's the same number of voters in each region because they know there's regional bias. So like Justin Herbert, I don't know. I mean, you're talking about Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, LSU, maybe Oklahoma State, maybe Wisconsin. I mean, he's he's by far the Pac-12 candidate. So yeah. I don't know if that factors in. Is there anybody else? Like Tanner Morgan from Minnesota? No. I mean, there's nobody. I think those are the four. Or those are the those are the five, right? Yeah, I Burrow, think Burrow, Fields, Hurts, Tua, six. Burrow, Fields, Hurts, Tua, Trevor, Trevor, Herbert. Yes, I think we might have left the guy out. Do we no. have to go back? To I don't think I don't. I wouldn't put Sam Ellinger in no. that kind. Oh, oh, what about at the start of the year? I'm just talking about people who at the start of the year were on the fringe of these conversations. Oh, no, way off there. I, I, we we. we do I have to go back? Do I have to re-edit the running back conversation real quick? Utah might make the playoff, and Zach Moss for Utah is like a really good running back. I don't know that he rises. He does not to the level of the guys that we talked about. Um, he's 13th in the nation in yards per game. He has 200 carries. He averages 6.23 yards. That's my fault that we didn't discuss him earlier. We, I, we already I spent too much on running backs. I, but Utah might make the playoff. They are from the West. It's probably Zach Moss or maybe Jordan Love, their quarterback. Who are those guys? I just wanted to throw their names out he there. He did miss one game. He, the, Zach Moss, the game he missed is right. the game they lost to USC, exactly. right. which shows how important Okay, so that right. comes down to like who's the West Coast guy between Herbert and Moss more than anything else. But then, I, I think but that's then, true. That's all he that should is. Be, he should be, yeah, so if you put in 100, another 130, he'd have 13... 60 basically would be his yardage. But he, yeah, but he's fighting with a quarterback. And I, don't so gonna, I don't think he's I don't think he's I don't think you are. I, I, I don't, don't have my pulse on anything. Jordan Love plays for Utah State, not Utah. Tyler Huntley is the Utah quarterback. Zach Moss is the Utah Heisman candidate. Yes. I, I, I don't, again, but I think people sometimes vote on these things based on pure big numbers. And he's behind those guys. Like you said, 13th in rushing. I don't think people give that a lot of Heisman support. But even if he wasn't, like if you're, if the West Coast is going to get a guy, they're going to get the quarterback. Okay, so let's continue with that. Right. So we've moved on to quarterbacks. We threw Zach Moss in so people could think that we know college football nationally. <laughs> That's, I mean, I'll run through some stats here. Um, in quarterback rating, let's do this first. Is Tua out? Yeah, he's out. Like, Tua is not going to get any real top three votes. No. Because he got hurt. Alabama's I think, out. I think, it's not like I he got hurt. He'll get a smattering of votes, but not a significant number. But it's not like he got hurt in like against Auburn or in the SEC championship game. He got hurt early on when He's there was played like... played nine games. Yeah, there's, there was plenty of yeah. football left to play. So I'm just like, saying, he'll get votes. But but not enough. Should we throw him out yeah, as we out. winnow this discussion? I think so, yeah. Okay. As far as like seriously contending for the award, absolutely, yeah. All right. So just as a point of information, Tua is first in quarterback rating. Burrow is second. Hertz is third. Fields is fourth. Lawrence is ninth. Herbert is twelfth. 
in straight passing yards, Joe Burrow is second in the country with 4,366. Uh, Hertz has 3347. Herbert has 3140. Fields is down there, right? Man, where's Fields? He uh, he's way down because he's 51st. He half, right? 2654. Um, so like the raw passing numbers, you know, Joe Burrow has 1700 more yards than Justin Fields in raw passing numbers, yeah. which we're just point we're just mentioning. We're not saying that's what matters the most. Touchdown passes, Joe Burrow has 44. That's second in the country. Justin Fields is third in the country with 37. Uh, Jalen Hurts is ninth with 31. Trevor Lawrence is 11th with 30. We can throw out a million stats. People's heads are going to start spinning. Do we agree that Joe Burrow is the top Heisman candidate at quarterback? Yes. Joe Burrow will win the Heisman Trophy. Yes. Who's second? Who is the second best quarterback conversation? Because I'm trying to simplify this as we get back to the question, which is going to be who's going to finish second, third, fourth, and fifth? Who's going to go to New York? I don't know that anybody in the country would dispute what you just said about Joe Burrow. But who is the second best quarterback? I think people are going to see Justin Fields' 37-to-1 touchdown-to-interception ratio. And the one interception is not as important as interception uh, ratio would be. But if you look at his attempts and you extrapolate it to the other contenders, his would still be microscopic compared to theirs. Um, and throw in now the 10 rushing touchdowns and what he means on the ground in a way that some of these other quarterbacks don't. I think that is also going to prepare. And the fact that they're 12-0 and and the fact the team's ranked number one. Um, the one thing I don't know about, and it's an interesting conversation to have, is do people look at his transfer from Georgia to Ohio State nationally and hold that against him in a candidacy like this, which can have some some student council um, popularity contest stuff along with it, narrative matters, do they hold that against him in a way they don't hold Joe Burrow's transfer against him, potentially? Do they look at him more as a mercenary than Burrow? Based, what would be, what's the primary difference, you believe, in their two transfers? That, I don't think there is a difference, necessarily. I'm saying the perception might be different. How do you think the perception would be different? Um, that Burrow, the fact that... Burrow did all he could do and didn't win, and then he left, and everybody still loves him in Ohio, while at Georgia, Justin Fields quit after one year. That, that the Basically, the Burrow was at Ohio State for three years, and Fields was Georgia yes, for one. Yes, yes. I don't agree with that, Pablo Fields. If I'm you're not listening. right. Right. I'm not saying I'm not pushing that narrative. I'm saying is that narrative out there, and does that affect this vote? The old farts with AOL addresses that we yeah. f- that we know vote for this, or the Do ones who think don't even have AOL that don't even that the ones who are getting their ballot by Pony Express would long for an AOL would kill. Would that seep into their thinking consciously or subconsciously? Yes. How much does recency bias play a role in this? So I want to make this point. And, and I will say it um, just as someone who I, it's, I voted at least since 2012. And I've written a million stories over the years about the Heisman race, about preseason stuff. I have not really thought about the Heisman. Now, like, of course I've thought about it, but I also haven't thought about it. And when I sit down to think about it, Sunday night or whatever it's going to be, when I really sit down and think about it, it's time to vote. Who am I going to vote for? Like, I'm not going to care about the race. I'm not going to care about who started off hot and who finished hot. I'm not going to care about 
the ups and I'm going to look at the totality of everything. So in terms of like recency bias or is it too late for JK to make a move? Like if I'm going to sit down and compare Jonathan Taylor and JK Dobbins, when I do it, I'm going to compare, I'm, I'm the first time I'm really going to do it in earnest is going to be after all the games are played. So, you know, I'll look at the total stats. I'll look at their level of competition. I'll look at how important they were to their offense and how explosive they were and how dynamic they were and how they helped tell the story of college football but like I don't to me it's not too late for anybody and I think we have seen Tua Tua had this thing wrapped up until conference championship weekend last year that's different what do I you think. mean it's different Those the whole were... point is that something happened on the last weekend and people allowed what and I don't think it's recency bias I think it's now we have the whole story and the end of Kyler's story really mattered. But I think, I think you're right. But those were the top two candidates anyway. No, I'm, but I'm, I'm talking about general how people vote. Uh-huh. So I'm just telling you, like, okay. just in general, the race is fake. Like, uh, people are not voters are not over the course of a season writing down. Now some of them are because there are straw polls, but. But I wouldn't think, well, you know what? I had Jonathan Taylor ahead eight of the 12 weeks ahead of JK. So now it's time to vote. You know what? I'm going to keep. I think you really just look at it one time at the end. So that's just that's my major point about that. And yes, sometimes there are big moves and how close people are. Nobody's passing Joe Burrow this weekend. But I think there is enough. I think what happens, particularly with the Ohio State guys on Saturday, can have a great influence. I don't think it's too late for anyone. Okay, and all right, so not recency bias, but Justin Fields had his Heisman moment against Michigan, and now he gets the chance to play a team for the second time on an indoor field where there are no weather. There's no environment, like, problems. Like, he gets to be at full – like, obviously he's probably a little hobbled up, but, like, we're going to see Ohio State play against, like, a better team where the weather is not a factor in things. And so I think it's going to open up something. I think it's going to open up the play calling, which could work in Justin Fields' favor and end up and get him a trip to New York. Dwayne, Dwayne got himself to New York in the last two weeks. Last literally, week. like, I think like, he literally had, I think, because I was watching that game um, just, like, for, the, like, a couple of weeks ago. And, like, they at the end of the game, they put up Dwayne Haskins' stats <coughs> two seconds after he did the little Heisman mo- motion on the field. And, like, they showed he had 400-something yards against Maryland. He had 400-something yards against Michigan. And he had 499 yards in the in the Big Ten championship game, and um, Joe Clack goes, Jesus. Well, book your ticket to fly, book your flight to New York, and I think yeah, to that point, I think that's what happened. Like you get in a situation that that's a Indianapolis has all has been tailor made to Ohio State since they've opened up the Big Ten championship game there, and. As most of most of the conference title games are either indoors or in warm right. weather, right? But and they're when you, tailored to the most athletic. But teams. when you're a northern team, where like weather is really an issue, because you might play in snow, you might play in like rain and sleet and all these different things, and all of a sudden, oh wow, we don't have any of those environments. That's why Ohio State was able to do what it did to Wisconsin in 2014. That's why I was able to do it again in 2017, and that's why they're going to be able to do it again on Saturday nights because. All of a sudden, this thing we, you call them a southern team that's in Ohio. That's in Ohio. Well, now they get to be a southern team because they they get to deal with the type of situations that southern teams get all the time. So one of the factors last year in why Kyler Murray made the impact he did was because of the playoff. Right, Ohio Oklahoma was able to put itself in the playoff last year by winning that game, and um, so that's the other thing I would watch this weekend. Is I think you're right that 
Justin Fields can definitely help himself this weekend. But if Georgia were to lose, the door is open there for Jalen Hurts to help himself the same way that Kyler Murray did last year as far as winning and potentially pushing Oklahoma yeah. into the Final Four. No, I think that's a great point. I think the difference of like whether Jalen Hurts like finishes ahead of Justin Fields in the Heisman voting might be whether Oklahoma makes the playoff or not. Yeah. And if Utah wins and LSU wins and Utah gets that four seed and Oklahoma's left out versus Oklahoma dominates Baylor and either jumps Utah or Utah loses in the Pac-12 and Oklahoma wins so they get in as the four because Georgia lost and it's only... I, I think that matters. There, there is a great difference between being the quarterback of a playoff team and being the quarterback of the number five team. And I think, again, for everybody who waits to vote, and everybody should, you're going to have a full 24 hours from the unveiling of the playoff to say, because to me, and do you think that's fair? Because to me, that's part of the story. If now the guy, and I, and you know, we're not going to get into this discussion, but the high, the fact that the Heisman is not done until after the season is crazy. Vince Young should have won it in two thousand. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so so that's we'll just say that. Especially but now, especially now that there's two more games. It's, potentially, it's crazy because and because everything else, it's 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 all part of the season. It's not it's, like the right. NBA or anything else where there's such a delineation. And especially when like a lot of these candidates are going to be playing each other in so, a chance for a championship. Yeah. So point. I mean, we're all preaching to the choir. I don't know that anybody listening to this would disagree with that. But I think the only way that you can address it is by looking at who made the playoff right. and trying and then anticipating as I am trying to vote for what I think is part of the story of this season. Well, if you're in the playoff, you're a bigger story than if you're not. And so that would affect my view of Jalen Hurts. His performance is the same. His stats are the same. But his opportunity, because you know what you don't want to do? You don't want to be dumb with your ballot. So if you like vote for, I mean I'm trying if you, I'm trying to think like who you would even vote for because almost everybody we're talking about is in the playoff. But if 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 you vote if Oregon doesn't make it and you vote for Justin Herbert third on your ballot and you don't vote for Jalen Hurts and then Jalen Hurts is in the playoff and Jalen Hurts puts up 500 yards yeah. of total offense and leads Oklahoma to the national title you're gonna be like my God what did I do uh, so guys but, but, are done. But but don't don't people do that though? Don't people be like, well, my number one is Joe Burrow going away, and my number two is Justin Fields. I think he's the number two guy, or Chase Young, or whoever. And then don't they regionally sometimes say, and then I want to make sure this guy gets recognized? Oh no, for sure. I think you're right. And and and, and that's I don't think have... that it's being dumb. I mean, I wouldn't vote that way. I think it's a dumb way to vote. But I don't think they're. I, I think they're doing it in a for a specific reason. And they, but that. They are going to have a great influence on who gets to New York this year because yeah. I think one is so obvious. And as we get to the end of this discussion, and we do have to speed it up a little bit, we're going to get, I mean, I think number two might become obvious or like the two guys who are in it for number two. So we're talking about the people who are going to end up fourth and fifth and get to New York or not. Some of that, hey, let's throw a dude a bone with a third place vote is really going to matter. That's why there might only be three, frankly. It, and, it, it, and it might. I think you're right. Okay, Burroughs won. We have to figure this out. I want to make this point about the two quarterbacks that I think. Do we think the next two quarterback candidates are Fields and Hurts? Yes. Yes. Jalen Hurts rushing yards this year: one thousand two hundred and seventeen rushing yards, eighteen touchdowns. Justin Fields rushing yards: four hundred and seventy, ten touchdowns. Jalen Hurts. 3,300 passing yards. Justin Fields, 2,600 passing yards. He is really important in their run game. The fact that he has 3,300 passing yards and 1,200 rushing yards. He is their offense. Is 
crazy. He's the. So when we talk about well, it again, why is that, why is we that talked about it, well, and that's how the discussion. I'm not holding it against that, him. Is that good? Is that bad? Is it a negative? We talked about it, Taylor, right? It's the same argument about Taylor and Hubbard versus Dobbins. Taylor and Hubbard are their whole offenses. Dobbins is not. But Field is not Ohio State's whole offense. Jalen Hurts is. How does that factor in the voting? But this is a more extreme version of that because we've seen Lincoln Riley do this with two other quarterbacks. Where so the is that? Won the Heisman. And as you right. said, so the idea, it's the same thing. Jonathan Taylor and Jalen Hurts are very much the same argument. They are the single guy in their offense. And the people before them in the same position succeeded at a high level. So, well, Jonathan, I would argue that what Hertz does is more difficult than what Jonathan Taylor. But does. Jonathan Taylor is the next in line of Wisconsin running backs, and Jalen Hurts is the next in line of Oklahoma yeah, like they're so offense, is that good or bad. Their offense is the equivalent of a little league Pop Warner team where you just put your best athlete at quarterback, so you don't have to hand the ball or throw it to him. And so I. So I don't know. Also, Ohio State quarterbacks have done a pretty decent job of getting to New York, too. And they just Actually, had one there last year. No, they haven't. I, I, I mean... Bra- Before Dwayne Haskins, we, they hadn't had one get there since Troy Smith. Yeah. Braxton and JT and Terrell okay. never well, got there. Okay. And they were always Heisman candidates. Right. I've written in the past. But not if you yet. are Ohio State's quarterback, you are by definition a Heisman right. trophy. I'm, I'm just saying, I, uh, that's fair. I, the point is that Justin Fields didn't rise just, like a phoenix out of the... No. I so, think... So let, let, let's narrow it down, because we got to speed it up a little bit. The fact that Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray are the last two Heisman Trophy winners, does that make you want to vote for Jalen Hurts more or less? Less. And the reason why kind of ties into also why Ohio State's coach doesn't win Coach of the Year. With every year that it happens, it's less because of the quarterback and more because of the... It's the opposite, though. With like the with the Ohio State coach, it's less because of the coach and more because of the talent. Well, with every year that a quarterback at Oklahoma does this, it's less about who the quarterback is and more about who Lincoln Riley is and the type of coach he is and what he can do for these transfer quarterbacks who come in and have these Heisman-level seasons. The first two weeks of the season, Jalen Hurts was on fire, and everybody went, oh, Lincoln Riley's going to have three straight Heisman winners. Nobody was saying was like talking about it from Jalen Hurts' perspective of, oh, well, he's going to leave Alabama and go win the Heisman. It's Lincoln Riley might get a third straight transfer quarterback who's going to win the Heisman. So those stats are great. And yes, they're Heisman level, but that's more of a reflection of what Lincoln Riley can do with quarterbacks in the Big 12 than it is Jalen Hurts. So I think at this point, because he's the third guy in line, you can't look at it the same way as you looked at it the first two times. How do you look at Ohio State quarterbacks under Ryan Day, who has been compared to Lincoln Riley, and whose quarterbacks the last two years have put up huge numbers? I think Justin Fields' stats would look exactly like Jalen Hurts if he had played in the second half of a lot of these games. Actually, I know. I think they'd be better. Are we now... We agree Joe Burrow is number one among quarterbacks. Yes. We agree that Hurts and Fields are two and three in some order. Yes. Yes. And then Lawrence is probably down there, and Herbert's down there. And Tua. And I Tua would, is down there. I would there. not forget Tua. And that's fine. So let's narrow this down because we got to Hurts or Fields. Fields. I would vote for Fields. But I do think that those raw numbers, especially out West, might be enough to... Because I don't think people out there necessarily have the context of Justin Fields. Yeah, and I think that's my problem. I, I, I've, I've also seen enough Oklahoma games to have context on that too. Oklahoma's been in some situations where they've had to have some comebacks these last couple of weeks. While Justin Fields has spent a lot of these weeks sitting on the sideline in the second half. Yeah, but who led those comebacks and made them happen? You're right, but who put them in that situation to have to come back in the first place? Well, but a lot of it is Jalen's case not similar to Dwayne's last year. 
Right, Dwayne played like to the last minute of all these games because right. Ohio State was like their defense stank and they put, couldn't put teams away. And the result was Dwayne put up gigantic. There's numbers. a difference between you can't put a team away versus the team is up 28 points and you have to win, go win a football game because you could not score in the in the first half. I think there's a major difference there. Okay, so you guys would both put Fields ahead of Hertz. Yes, on my personal ballot. On yes. your personal yeah. ballot. Um, what do you think is going to happen? I think it's going to be. Really close. I, I, it's closer than I realized. Yeah, Again, having me, having not, I haven't thought about it. I'm going to vote, and I'm going to vote responsibly. I haven't thought about it. I didn't realize Jalen Hurts had three times as many rushing yards oh, as I, Justin yeah, Fields. I, uh, you know, I knew they they both their stats are very similar, and I understand the fourth quarter thing and everything else. Um, does it hurt Justin Fields that his team has two other Heisman candidates and Oklahoma doesn't? There's where it hurts. Yeah, I think that, because that, like that. that that hurts yeah, that hurt too. and helps hurt. Yeah, because like I don't know if somebody texted this or tweeted this or just I don't remember where it was, but somebody said that like Justin Fields is their most valuable, Chase Young's their best player, but J.K. Dobbins is their most productive. And because of that three man cycle, they kinda the other two take away from one. That is that is a tricky thing here if you're talking about just Ohio State's yeah. candidates, because what do you value most? That determines who you potentially vote for, number one, number two, number three. And, I, and none of those three answers might be wrong. And I do think there are two things. I think you look at who are the team's best Heisman candidate, yeah. who's their most important player, and, and if you go through it, I think it would be a very reasonable thing. Let's look at the four playoff teams. Who's the guy from LSU that should go to the Heisman ceremony? Who's the guy from Georgia? Who's the guy from Ohio State? Who's the guy from Clemson? Because that matters. Again, the story. It's not, it's not reserved only for playoff people, but I think that is a check mark in your favor if you made the playoff. Yeah. So I think you look at the team, and then I think you look at the position, which is what we're trying to do here. I think if Oklahoma makes the playoff, Jalen Hurts will finish ahead of Justin Fields in the Heisman voting. That's I think it's very plausible. We also didn't mention Jake Fromm in any of this because he doesn't have amazing. And we're not. And we're not going to mention. He's got Jake a twenty-one to three to touchdown to interception ratio, and if they beat LSU and make the playoffs, he's going to get some support. And and if he he also threw three interceptions against South Carolina, yeah, so kicked him down the tubes. Um, Are those the only three interceptions he's thrown? He's got he's twenty one to three touchdown interception ratio. Yeah, I think was, I think that's right. Okay. Now again, I don't have my finger on the pulse. So I'm of saying if they, so I'm just wrong. saying if they make the playoff, he's going to get some support somewhere on people's ballots. And and especially it's one of those it, it's it's funny to think about. I mean, because it's like if you're in the South, you're going to vote for Burrow, but then like who else are you going to vote for in the South? Maybe if you can't vote for Tua because he's hurt, who are you going to vote for? Maybe you're going to vote. If, and but if Jake Fromm again, I think Jake Fromm getting any consideration from anybody would take slicing and dicing LSU in a big win. Looking great and making up for those things. Like Jake yeah. Fromm threw for 420 yards against LSU and outplayed right. Joe Burrow. Which right? it's, it, that's probably not what we're but looking at. It's, it's probably, not impossible. Not impossible, Even but I think LSU's defense. I think Georgia's defense probably wins yeah. that game more than Jake Fromm does. Okay, let's go theory. quickly. There's nobody else offensively. There's no receivers. The 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 leading receiver in the country is one of Joe Burrow's receivers. Um, the other guys are like Alabama receivers. C.D. Lamb. That people can't even figure out is Jalen Hurts' receiver. Although we said Jalen Hurts is the whole offense, C.D. Lamb is an All-American receiver. Yeah. And Jamar Chase at LSU is an All-American receiver. But they're not going to get votes ahead of their quarterbacks. Defensively, is there anybody else that is even in the conversation? There typically are not people in the conversation on the defensive side of the ball for a high, the Heisman. Is there anybody else that even is discussed at this level other than Chase. Chase leads the nation with 16 and a half sacks. 
I don't even know who any of these other people are. <laughs> hey, there's two Wisconsin guys I've never heard of. Chris Orr and Zach Bond. We mentioned both of them an hour ago. On this podcast. On this podcast. Get your finger on that. That you're doing right now. My finger. They both have 11 and a half. Congratulations to those Badgers. Wow, that is very exciting. To those Badgers. Congratulations. Well done. Joe Gaziano from Northwestern has nine. AJ Esponza from I. There's nobody. These are amazing names. I'm going to be honest. So let's, let's narrow this down now, okay? We've got. Chase on defense. We've got Burrow, Hertz, Fields. Really, those those are the three quarterbacks, right? right? I mean, we really didn't give a lot of consideration to anybody else. Then we've got Dobbins, Taylor, and Hubbard. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Are those the seven leading Heisman candidates? Chase Young, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, J.K. Dobbins, Jonathan Taylor, Chuba Hubbard. By the consensus of the three people sitting here, yes. And we think the world? Probably, yeah. And I would say there's going to be people who don't, who put Tua in for one of those seven people, but. And like on the fringes, Tua, Etienne. Fromm, if he goes nuts, ATN, Justin Herbert, and, and at Oregon, Zach Moss at Utah, depending who wins the Pac 12 right. and who looks great, who emerges as the best West Coast candidate. Right. But again, we're getting one, two. That's that's seven guys in the race and five on the fringes. Right. I think that's fair. Yeah. All right. So we've broken this down for a reason. We with the caveat that this weekend will have some influence, and we can't predict that. There's no reason to try to predict. Let's do right now, as we sit here on Wednesday morning. Who would we vote for for the Heisman? I would vote Joe Burrow number one. Well. No, I would vote Chase Young number one. If it's gonna be if it's gonna be best player, it's best player. I'm voting Chase Young number one. I vote Chase Young number one, Joe Burrow number two, and I I would vote Fields third. But Chase. again, that's with the perspective of seeing what Justin Fields meant kind of intangibly to this team and knowing what's behind him on the roster is also possibly being a factor here. Steven. Burrow's number one. Okay, I'm just going to... Joe Burrow's going number one. I'm going to put Chase number two. Like, it's all about the story. And like, yeah, you missed two games, but then you came back and got right back on the horse. Obviously, Michigan was your little hiccup, but other than that, like, that dude's been ridiculous. And like... 50 years from now, I think when you're looking back at Heisman's and you're looking back at the voting, I think it would be a shame if he's not number two when you're telling the story of the 2019 season. Last spot. There's only there's only one more spot. I know. Well, and, no, you can get up to five. No, you, but you only can put three on your ballot. Yeah. So that's the thing they can do. They can pick the five, but overall, but but yeah. This, and this third place vote is so important because you, Stephen, are changing people's lives. Did you get to New York? <laughs> Just like the Final Four in the national championship, making the Final Four in college basketball is awesome. That's a thing. If you're a Final Four team, every time you say we made the Final Four, people don't say yeah, but you didn't win the national title. They don't. They say hey, you're a Final Four team. Right. If you say I'm a Heisman finalist, that means I got to New York. 
Well, and you don't say I got. You, you have to. You have to earn a Final Four in basketball in a different way. It's not a vote. Yeah, actually playing the game. It's crazy. It's a crazy concept. Um, so what if we organize the top twelve Heisman? <laughs> had a combine like a steel cage. Yeah, had a combine. I pick Chase. One hundred percent pick Chase. <laughs> um, I just made a whole argument for Justin. This, is this ours what we think is going to happen? This is your ballot. And okay. And we'll discuss what we think Oh, is if happen. it's my ballot, Justin's number two, number three. Okay. I think my ballot at the moment would be Burrow, Chase, Hurts. And um, on the thinnest of margins. and It's close. And yeah. open to the fact that maybe between Hurts and Fields, who has the better, quote, better game this weekend might be the deciding factor. And that's what I think it's like going to be. So, who do we now, and I hope people have thought this is interesting. I think a lot of this stuff, because it's it's looking at performance, it's looking at stats, but it's also this theoretical mumbo-jumbo, dingling bullcrap, which is interesting about sports, because there's no right answer to this. The thing that, as our discussion, but I hope it's fleshed some things out for people, Chase is going to New York. Yes. And you've been the most reluctant on that, but then you also voted Chase number one. And I know that those are two different things because you're saying, this is how I evaluate it. But And it's interesting. This is how people view politics right now. When you listen to political podcasts, people talk about all the time. People vote on who they like, but they also vote on who they think their neighbors like. And I think that's what you're evaluating, right? You're thinking, I think Chase should win the Heisman. I just don't believe the 930 people who are going to vote are going to do that, correct? I think there are going to be enough people who, A won't vote for defense under any circumstance, that they always put quarterbacks, running backs so much higher on the list, and B, can hold against him the suspension, which I think is a legitimate factor to include in this. So, I'll go first on this. Here's who I think's going to New York. With the caveat, the weekend could change it. Burrow, Chase, Hurts, Fields. Yeah, I, I, Four. I think that's yep. a very, very likely outcome. Because I think, I think that I think that third place vote is going to be very close. I think those are the four. I think... But well, actually, I would not to interrupt you. I think I think it could actually be a runaway number one, and then these other three guys I think, pretty close. Together. I think if there's a runaway number one, I think there's a chance Chuba might be number five if they if they bring five. That's and, yeah, that's that's possible too. And it's it's the matter of where again, as yeah. we explain this, it's where the if if where there is a natural cutoff in the voting mm-hmm. between three and five. If three, four, five, and six are all jammed together, they'll bring up to six. And if, if there's a clear Cut off between, and that's why I think, I think it could be Burroughs the runaway number one. A lot of people do vote for Chase number two. But people then are conflicting with Hertz and Fields, and there's some variety in there. But those, and as you said, Chase, Fields, and Hertz take up a good chunk of the second and third place votes. And then there is a gap. Yeah, Chuba got some thirds. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence got some thirds, but they, but they're so far beneath where Hertz and Chase and Fields are, that that's where the dividing line is. Do you think, I, I should have researched this, has any player ever made it to New York having missed games because of a suspension that season? That is a fantastic story idea. I do not, I do not, well, Johnny won it when he missed half, missed a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got, for the yeah. autograph thing. Yeah. Okay. So, and he won. So right. technically, yeah. And that was like a because I understand what you're saying. There's the statistical thing of you miss some time, but there's like the black mark against your name. But that's also a quarterback who put up a hell of a bunch of stats. And as we said, Jameis Winston was under a sexual assault allegation at the time of the voting, and he won. Right. And again, we're not 
But that's not an NCA infraction. No, that's, no, that's but, a, but if well, but I'm saying what it seems to me what you have primarily talked about. And I think it's right. Is what will old Heisman voters think of this kid? Right. It's the black mark. Whether who, who it's already don't vote for defensive not. players. Correct. And so I think that's a right opinion by you. But I also think when you look at the, the quote transgression by Chase compared to other things, it's very minor. It's not even. It's not as it's bad. It's not even. I a think thing. people thought that Johnny's thing was very distasteful. Of like you're in your and you're in your room signing a bunch of autographs and getting a couple thousand dollars. You know, Chase's thing, as it's explained, is even less than that, right? Now, it is what it is, and we don't need to go over old territory, but I think the point that you're making, that it's tied to a defense, it's a black mark, quote, black mark, on a guy who already is fighting an uphill battle is different. That's that's the thing. I think there's people out there who aren't going to vote for a defensive player unless that defensive player has what you were talking before about Barry Sanders or what I mentioned before about Marshall Falk. Like, people who just do things that are, and we see it, but I don't know that it resonates nationally to the extent that it needs to necessarily. It would not surprise me if Chase doesn't get to New York I, because of that. I think it does because of the games he's done it in. Like, yeah, he's done it all year, but like he did it all like outside of Michigan. And that's because like Michigan did some things that no one else has done like as far as consistently. But even then, like at the end of the game, he started making plays. Like Jeff Halfley said, they felt Chase the entire game, even if the stats don't show it. But and but, I think if he had not been suspended those two games and had come out right. and had eight sacks in but, those two games. He'd in the lot. games that mattered the most, he did it on a national stage with the world watching, and everybody got to see it, and you could not deny that. It's not like if he got suspended for Penn State in Michigan or Wisconsin, then you're 100% right. Because then, like, then the argument is, yeah, like, not only did you get suspended, but you did all this against trash. But if we were talking about, if we we're talking about a running back or quarterback, I think that would apply more. But again, we're talking about an award that historically, ignores defensive players. Also Not just doesn't reward them, award. but ignores them. It also them. tells the story of the season, and there's no way you can do that. There's a if, defensive player every year that is that the is defensive not, player in the country. That is, but there is not a defensive player every year that is doing what Chase Young, what Charles Woodson, and what Indomica Sue, and Man what Manti Teo did. That's right. Being the best defensive player and then having that type of impact are two totally different things. I, and you know, the way Charles Woodson won it was by playing off. You're right, but like but we're, not, we're talking not talking about him winning we're it. We're saying to get to New York, you have to be on a whole different level as a defensive player. Manti Teo was on a whole different level as a defensive player, and he was playing for the best def- defense in the country. Chase Young is both of those things as well, regardless I, of a suspension. We'll see. I will say in the end, I think it's actually, my guess will be that the suspension almost has zero effect on Chase's mm-hmm. Heisman candidacy because A, the, the the one part that had to happen for Chase's Heisman candidacy was that there could not be an obvious offensive guy. And it has turned out that there is an obvious offensive guy. There is nothing Chase could have done to win the Heisman this year. And there's, there's a way not, no there's even a way it could help him because he leads the nation in sacks despite missing two games. So yeah. that's how dominant he is. And was. not having one in the old but like, I, I'm saying I would vote for him. I just I'm in the back of my mind. I'm 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 I think that could still play I think out for Chase to win and I wrote it at the time, for Chase to win, the discussion we just had with Fields and Hurts for third and fourth, that needed to be the quarterback discussion at the top. How do you separate Burrow and Fields and Hurts and Trevor and Tua? Right, Man, there's five, but there's no clear number one. What do I do? Oh, I guess I'll vote for the defensive guy. And that didn't happen. Burrow separated himself. Burrow's going to win. But I do think Chase is going to end up in New York. I think Chase is going to finish second. I really do. And, And... I think you might be right, and I think we might be on that night look and say Chase finished fourth, and if he if that happens, it'll be because what you have been saying 
came exactly true. Yeah, but I, I do understand. Think, I'm not predicting it. I'm just saying that that's it's possible. Possible. Yeah. And I, and and that's like and that's okay. I mean, I do I do feel like I was again I was listening to a politics podcast that just reminded me of our podcast a little bit, which is why I like that. That it's like they have statistical models and all this stuff, but you still are never sure, a hundred percent for sure. But you try to think what could happen and why. And so that's what we tried to do here. We're going to come back with a lightning round through a bunch of your questions. We know that was a heavy Heisman thing. Maybe we will mention Wisconsin more. Maybe we'll have Nathan and Steven name the 14th through 19th best players on Wisconsin's <laughs> roster. Who knows, but we'll be back in a moment here on Buckeye Talk. All right, a quick drop in here on Buckeye Talk. It's post-podcast, but I finally had time to tally up our tech subscriber Ohio State Heisman straw poll. Rank the top three Buckeyes candidates in order. And the winner is Chase Young. 121 total votes. And I found this very interesting how this broke down. The final tally, and I tallied it like they actually do for the Heisman, which is three points for first place, two points for second, one point for third, is Chase Young, 296. J.K. Dobbins, 220. Justin Fields, 210. J.K. Dobbins got... Twice as many, well, not twice as many, almost twice as many second place votes as the other two guys um, individually. Most people, a lot of people, as I was tallying it, there was a lot of JK in the middle. And if you thought, you know what, the, the quarterback is the most important player on a team, I'm voting Justin first, you went Justin JK Chase. If you thought Chase is the most dominant actual player, regardless of position, I'm going Chase, J.K. Justin. And J.K. was in the middle. So the first place votes, it went Chase Young, 71, Justin Fields, 28, J.K. Dobbins, 22. Second place votes, J.K. Dobbins, 55, Fields and Young each got 33. Third place votes, Fields, 60, Dobbins, 44, Chase Young, 17. So not that many people had Chase third. Um, I was a little surprised by that. I was a little surprised that J.K. came out ahead of Justin Fields. And I was a little surprised that the first place advantage for Chase was so stark. 71 for Chase, 28 for Justin Fields, 22 for J.K. Um, I think it's a respect for the run game that Ohio State fans have. Um, and I, I noticed this. A lot of people had comments with it. Clearly the fact that Chase and Chase is definitely going to the NFL. JK probably is, and Justin can't factored into the decisions of some people. That like some people said, this is my order for now, and my order for next year is Justin number one. And as we've talked about before, I think I think actually I talked about it on the radio show the other night. The 2020 Heisman race is going to be Justin Fields versus Trevor Lawrence from day one, and people will jump up because people always do the way Joe Burrow has jumped up this year. But it is going to be couched as that all year. And so uh, Justin has another chance, and the other two guys probably don't. Um, I also wanted to note that we did not get to as many questions as I would like to. And it I didn't get to talk as much on this one as I really wanted to. we got a half hour left. Listen to that. Reading all the questions, man, I had a lot of stuff I wanted to say. I'm tempted to do like a bonus podcast on Friday of just me answering your questions. I might do a that or write the answers on the site in a Hey Doug or something. I tried to be a pouty, passive-aggressive dingleberry this week, and uh, the result is that I got a lot of stuff inside that I didn't get out. I have problems. All right, back to normal Buckeye talk. 
Let's run through this, as many of these questions as we can get to very quickly. Again, this is uh, for everybody who's part of our tech subscription. This would be a great time to join. Even if you want to, you could give it as a really cheap holiday present for a month. If there's someone that you want to spend $3.99 on for the holidays, like a stocking stuffer, it's like, hey, I got you Buckeye Talk uh, tech subscription for a month just to get you through the national championship game. You could do that right now. You would get a 14-day free trial, pay $3.99 for one month, and then if you want to keep it, great. If not, great. Um, but why don't you try it right now? If you haven't done it yet and you're listening to this podcast, do it for a month. Your team might win the national title. Quick round table, lightning round. Is Ohio State going to win the national title? Nathan? Yes. Steven? Yes. Yeah, I think so too. So anyway... Don't you want that great insight in your phone? I'm gonna tw- I'm gonna text every day from now until j- January 13th. By the way, I think Ohio State's gonna win the national title. I should like have like an automatic text at 6 a.m. Like, good morning, <laughs> Ohio State's gonna win the national championship. I people actually probably <laughs> they would probably enjoy it. There are definitely I know some of our texters who actually would really. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna do that. By the way, that's like a really good idea. Um, <laughs> All right, so we appreciate your your votes on all this stuff. Let's get to some of these uh, questions. Um, Do we think linebacker is a legitimate concern for next year's starters? This is from the 330. They also make a really good point about all the Heisman stuff. Um, Malik Harrison is going to be gone. Pete Warner, Tuff Borland, Baron Browning will be back. Kayvon Pope, Dallas Gant, Taraja Mitchell, that second line of guys will all be back. But Malik Harrison is excellent. Yes. He is, I think, maybe the leading candidate for, like, glue guy of the defense. How, a, how much will he be missed? You could argue he's the most underrated player in the Big Ten, even though he was a first-team All-Big Ten guy. But only he, he split that vote. I think he got – he was for the coaches and not for the media, I believe. Probably because his stats necessarily aren't there because of – for a lot of the reasons a Ohio State players' stats aren't there. Um, I don't know, though, that I'm that concerned. I think, you're again, you're going to have a very, very, very veteran group with those two starters that are returning, I mean, three, with, with Baron Browning, who's essentially a starter. He's, you know, a, a 1B at that spot. And um, I think Pope and Gant and Mitchell, when he's been healthy, have all shown some things. I think that's going to be an even deeper group next year than it is this year. Yeah, I, I would not be worried about it. I think the main thing is how they use the linebackers, and we've seen how they've been deployed. Um, that has really helped them perform at a higher level. But the talent is there. I yes. think the talent is there. Um, this is a question from the 412 that's going to take a little time. It's not quite lightning round, but I, but I want to get into it because it's a really interesting question, and I had forgotten about it. Um, can you guys revisit the 12-0 preseason podcast and talk about how everything came together perfectly to make this 12-0 regular season possible? I sent a text summary of the 12-0 podcast to you on Tuesday. I know you like it when listeners do the work for you. Um, I like that very much. And we were sort of talking about like, hey, like we couldn't remember nobody. And it was like, oh, I did this by myself and outlined in a world where I had not picked them to go 12-0, and what would 12-0 and look like? So this person summarized the points. This is my favorite texture at the moment. Let's run through the points, them summarizing what I said, and you guys react because I said it originally. Point number one, other quarterbacks have had first-year success. You may microwave your lunch. Yes. Um <laughs> Chris Quinn is listening to this. This is just a reality of the sound quality. There is only so much that can be done. We're in this smaller room with tighter walls. If we'll just, we'll this, just keep talking. This is a great test to see if Chris Quinn gets a hu- an hour and 45 minutes into this baby every week. I know he listens. And and if 
He's listening to this right now. I'm imagining the look on his face. He's my boss. He's all of our bosses. He's a good Wait, boss. At least until he listens to this oh, podcast. Oh, yeah. He, <laughs> he might not be anymore. Yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> Number one, other quarterbacks have had first-year success. Justin Fields can, too. Fields will get help from the coaching and the scheme to be in a position to succeed. I said that was an important thing. How'd that work out? Uh, I think it worked out well, but I really think Fields was just better than we thought he was going to be, too. I think it worked out okay. The O line number two, the O line will be better. Jonah Jackson will be the perfect addition to talented young guys. That definitely came true. Yeah. Are you ang? <laughs> You're just ang because you don't want me. And again, you don't want to give him any credit. This was a podcast. I didn't think this was going to happen. I was like, well, what this if was, they go twelve and zero? This was the. This was the. This isn't what's going to happen because I'm picking him to go nine. Yeah, this is why, like the, the sarcasm of like. This can't happen, but it's not right. Yeah, this was his That's argument why. for why they're going to go 9-3, and because not all of these things were going to happen. Yeah, this was the CYA podcast. Uh, three, receivers go nuts. Can they be as good as last year's group? Olave breaks out. Wilson shows up big. You, you're halfway I, right. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say they broke out. Olave broke out. Olave broke out, I think. He's uh, been like, he's he's their deep ball guy. Yeah, he's he just followed through receiver. on one he showed at the end of last year. I really think it was right. more of a running game. Okay, so like maybe not breaking out, but just kind of like, Built on what he had at last season, and then like Garrett Wilson had 100 yards against Michigan. So yeah, well, Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson eventually had a big game. I think he's been, he's, well, been yeah. he's been a fine addition. I just don't think I don't think it's not like I think at the time, the way I hear that, the way you read it now, it's like oh, the receiver, there's going to be just a, the receivers were going to be like out front, kind of leading this offense, and the receivers are the third most important group to this offense. I read it as given like how the offense was going to run, the way that Ryan Day talked about like how they were going to use JK this year. I think Garrett Wilson's had a really good freshman year and Chris Olave has clearly been their best receiver, which is like under the lines of what he was saying, just given the context of they made it very clear that J.K. Dobbins was going to be the workhorse and going to be the engine of this team. J.K. is not summarized in here, but also I also did a thing where I predicted that J.K. might run for almost 2,000 yards. So and I did think he'd be an important part of it. Number four, Chase Young is healthy and alters opposing teams' offensive plans with help from Jonathan Cooper and Tyreek Smith. He can be Nick Bosa versus TCU level dangerous in the pass rush. Yes, but you take away the with help from Jonathan Cooper. He's been hurt. Tyree Smith has been hurt a little bit. Just take away the with help of anybody. He's just been chased. Yeah, it actually surpassed your <laughs> Yeah, he's yeah. just chased. He's just been a monster unto himself. Number five, find the right linebackers, have a role for Browning and others while Harrison continues to be really good. Yeah. Yeah, that's more or less, but they didn't go find new linebackers. The yeah. ones they had got better. And I think that was what you were saying. better. Like you more than anybody better. else were advocate of, like, maybe some of the guys behind the tough Borlands of the world should get a chance. On yeah, and, like, he found the linebackers. It was just the same linebackers, but he also did add Baron Browning into that and Malik Harrison's leading them in tackles. I was very much into a world where, like, it potentially, like, the three linebackers who played the most were Malik Harrison, Baron Browning, and Taraji Mitchell. And it turns out that Two Taraji, or three. Taraji Mitchell's not really had a role, but... Pete, and then Pete Warner, you thought of their success. Well. I thought maybe Pete was role would lessen. Yeah, because uh, I thought Pete and Tuff were not great last year, and instead Pete has been His the second exact team fit what they want yeah. that linebacker to be. And Tuff, I think, has played well lately. He has his limitations, but again, I think what they've it's been similar last year. But what they found with Borland and Browning at middle linebacker, and we talked a lot of it early in the season. People wanted more Baron Browning. They found a way. Both those guys continue to play, yeah. and it's worked. It would be hard to argue with the results of that. 
Number six, Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett, Sean Wade, Jordan Fuller play like the 2016 secondary or close to it. Uh, close to I don't it. Have, I don't have a good perspective on 2016, I, but they've, uh, been, they've been pretty great. The, I don't... Uh, I mean, they're not... That they're was not... The, yeah, they're, that's that was, an NFL level... Like, that was four first-round picks. Yeah, so like, I mean, Okuda's the best corner in the world, in the country. Sean Wade's been a great slot corner. Damon Arnett looks like he made the best decision in the world, and I think Jeff Halfley's turned him into a draft pick, and Jordan Fuller's been solid. It's not four first-rounders, but it's no, certainly but it's, one and maybe two. Yeah. Yeah, and again, whether you're a first-round draft pick or not isn't necessarily based on your college production. Just based on their college production, they've been pretty fantastic this year. I don't think there's been any point where we thought the secondary was holding this defense back or this team back. Uh, again, quick, from the 614, you texted about this earlier, but what's your outlook on the likelihood of potentially flipping Bijan Robinson away from Texas? I think we're on alert for it. I think we're on alert. He's the five-star running back who is committed to Texas. Ohio State had a time when they thought they were going to get him. He sort of surprised them by picking Arizona. Texas. He's from Arizona. He surprised them by picking te- picking Texas. Like staying closer to home is an issue, but Austin is like 14 hours from Scottsdale. It's still a flight. If they can sell Ohio, if Ohio State can sell him on like there's some Texas dysfunction. Look at what J.K. Dobbins can do. I think they might make a. They will continue. I think to try. I think they'll try, and I would not rule it out. I think the J.K. Dobbins factor of like that's going to be a hole that needs to get filled. And then also Lathan Ransom. I think that, like, I mean... You, high school teammate. High school teammate who's coming here. I mean, like, they're high school kids. He's going to probably stay... Like, obviously, he's going to let him make the decision he wants to make for himself. But, like, uh, at some point, he's probably once a week going, Hey, man, you should still come join us. You should still come join us. You can't live on flips. If you, you can't bank your recruiting on flips. Ohio State in the urban era, they didn't get a huge flip every single year. They had some major signing day gets. Uh, he's the guy at the moment. I think there are a couple other guys. I think the Chris Peterson situation at Washington. Yeah. Ohio State has been recruiting on the West Coast. Aren't there some maybe Washington commits that they – we can get into it more before signing day. Next week we'll have a lot of time to talk about signing day. I think they are really full in this class. I think there might be a guy or two it's, that I, they're on flip alert. Yeah, for. and the flips are like need at this point. Well – like the running back sometimes is sometimes flips are need, and sometimes flips are you're one of the twenty best players in the country oh, yeah. at whatever position you're at. If you want to come here, we'll make it happen. That happens sometimes too. Jumping ahead to next year in Ohio State's receiving squad, does Fields get anywhere close to the numbers that Haskins put up in 2018? That's from Nick Gardner. Again, quick lightning round on this. It's a it's a question both about the, how, what the offense is going to look like and the talent they're going to have at receiver. Well, I don't think it has anything to do with the talent they're going to have at receiver. It's gonna, it has to do with opportunity. It's it's how many passes does he get to throw? If he's if he's similarly held back as far as his attempts by just circumstance and sportsmanship and part, sometimes wanting to protect his health, um, he can't get to those kinds of numbers. But that doesn't mean he can't have a great season. You can argue that his season is actually better. Than what Dwayne Haskins did. When you talk about efficiency, you talk about other impacts. Justin Fields has 37 touchdown passes this year, correct? Yes. I had 50. I think he might break that next year. The defense, I, you're losing Chase, which is like, when you lose a guy like that, it like, the, the cornerbacks are great. Jeffrey Okuda is a top 10 draft pick, but like, he's also got a guy who's pass rushing at a, at a level that's ridiculous. You're going to lose that. You're going to lose your entire DB, DB unit, probably, probably depending on what Sean Wade decides to do. 
because of that, the defense isn't going to be as talented next year as it is this year. Just because, listen, you don't have two top ten draft picks in your draft in your defense. So like, there are going to be some situations where like he's they're not going to beat everybody by forty plus points going into the last couple of weeks of the season, which means he's going to be on the field in the fourth quarter a little bit more often. The wide receiver unit is going to be ridiculous next year. It's going to be a lot better than it is this year, and. Even in the games this year where he was only playing in the first half, he was still throwing 20-plus passes because they wanted to get him those reps. Well, if he was doing that this year in a, a, with a with a head coach who's already an aggressive play caller, what happens when now he has to be an aggressive play caller and all of a sudden he's throwing the ball 30 to 35 to 40 times a game? So I that's my, like, it's early, but, like, if I had to make an outrageous prediction for next season, I think he breaks Dwayne Haskins' pass, touchdowns record. I, I don't know that he'll have to regularly throw that many passes. And don't forget, some of the things that would have been touchdown passes for Dwayne Haskins as a Justin Fields quarterback are going to be Justin Fields' runs. But the schedule's harder next year. Like, you, you Oregon's on the schedule. So, like, that's one extra game where, like, instead of playing Miami of Ohio or Cincinnati where it's going to be a blowout, like, you're going to be in that game early. So that there's an early game, right? Dwayne Haskins, one of his first really good games was, was a test against TCU. I'm very curious about whether Ryan Day in his head early next season has an idea of let's try and win the Heisman for Justin. Yeah. That there will be a conversation with Justin and Justin's family. He'll Justin be in the conversation will, already. We'll have NFL things on his mind. You want to keep him healthy and, and durable and not wear him down unnecessarily. But if it's like, listen, he's clearly the Heisman candidate on this team next year. I don't think JK is coming back. Chase is not coming back. No. They're not going to have three Heisman candidates again. There is a way that, and it's not it's not playing him till the very end, but there is a way you can give him an extra series or two early in the year that'll puff up his numbers a little more, knowing that it matters. And if Justin has never for one second seemed like a guy that that kind of thing matters to him, he is like almost off the charts, like low-key, humble, not worried about stuff. But but it's nice to win the Heisman. And, and so you can have a smart conversation in the offseason about load management and I and why wouldn't you say you know what yeah we're in favor of that Justin is in favor of that he would like to play a little more we need to be smart but maybe there's a way if it felt like you know what Jalen Hurts finished ahead of Justin in the Heisman voting just based on raw numbers because he took X number more snaps let's maybe try to close that gap I don't think that would be an unreasonable conversation you have those things all the time it's not prioritizing individual goals ahead of the team it's just being smart about what's best for everybody and maybe they would do that. Who had a bigger impact than you expected this season? Who had not the impact that you expected this season from the 6-1-4? I'll say Warner on bigger impact than yeah. I expected because I thought he might lose time. We talked so much about the bullet. Pete Warner killed the bullet. And in that, my answer but to, to the response to that is Brendan White's the guy who did not have the type of impact you thought he would as the guy who was the MVP of the Rose Bowl game and who looked like he was going to be a starting strong safety before they just completely flipped what the position is. And like you just said, Pete Warner killed the bullet just by being good enough to stay on the field. So like if there, there's a trade off. Yeah, I would think you would put, um, again, I know that the circumstances were that he wasn't necessarily playing in, in a frontline role, but the season Master T had, I think there was a lot of questions at the start of the year, who would possibly be the number two running back on this team, and he ran away and hid with, with that role. Um, Literally right after Tony Alford said that DeMario McCall was going to be the number two running right. back. And then, and then I, you know, again, not for reasons of his own control, but Jonathan Cooper couldn't play most of this season. I think that, that definitely limited his impact. I think those are good answers. Uh, recruiting from the 614, it's actually the same guy, but it's two good questions. 
I'm concerned that Ohio State is losing elite, elite top 20 national guys on defense and isn't replacing them with top 20 elite guys, specifically at corner. Should we be concerned? When you look at, again, that they had three five-star guys in Baron Browning, Chase Young, and Jeff Okudu who are make, in 2017 who are making gigantic impacts on this team right now, that's, that's not what the defensive recruiting looks like now. Now, the expectation can't be, well, why don't you have three of the best eight defensive recruits in the country and none of them are from Ohio? That was unbelievable. But we have to remember, they're here. I mean, they're they, 12-0 for a reason. Yeah, and they got two guys who are top 100 guys. Lathan's top is 79th and Clark Phillips the third is 49th and the fourth best corner. So they've got some top 100 guys. I think Legend Cavazos is a lot better than his ranking is. But he's I, all... It, What's he? He's a safety, but he's gonna play corner when he gets here. He's like, gonna play corner. Yeah, okay. like he's playing, like he's playing corner this year at IMG to get ready to play corner here. He's, I think, the best at pure athlete in this think class. He be that kind of slot corner, like what they use Sean Wade. As. Yeah. So, like, I think his rating is based. Some of that is based off the position he was playing, but I think he's a lot better than that ranking. I don't think it's just the defensive backs on their own that factor here, though. I think um, I think we know, we believe Ohio State has replacement talent at defensive end that's going to keep bringing a pass rush, which obviously helps that secondary. I want to see what the interior guys do. Do people like Haskell Garrett, Tommy Togiai, do they step up and play at the kind of level and get the kind of interior pressure that guys like um, Dejon Cornell and Davon Hamilton have been doing for most of this season? And I do think there is, that we have to remember there are guys. It's always good to be thinking about, if you're thinking about defensive recruiting in the 2020 class. Your question's about 2023. So we have to remember for now, Seven yeah. Banks is here. Tyreek Johnson, who was a national top 50 guy, who has Josh not been Proctor talked about will be starting safety next year. Josh Proctor, who's been hurt for much of the second and half of the like, season. people like all fall camp are like, he has been just picking everything off. If you end up in a situation where you lose your entire starting secondary, but your starting secondary next year is something like Josh Proctor, Seven Banks, Tyreek Johnson, and Cam Brown... That is like talent all over the place. Yeah. Like that is, Damon Arnett was a three-star recruit. You know, like that is, development is part of it too. But like Proctor, people think Proctor is an elite level dude. Seven Banks could be an elite level dude. Tyreek Johnson, I think, was like the 24th, number 24 recruit in the nation. So, but it is a valid question. Let's talk about 2023. Because it's 2019 and these 2017 guys are getting it done. And the 2020 class... Are you going to be able to do this in two and three years if you don't have defensive guys who are quite at that level? But I think we're always on the lookout for that. And to bring up somebody like Legend, who is really athletic, really smart, really ready to contribute, and maybe just fell through the cracks in the rankings a little bit, Ohio State looks for that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's smart when we can look for that too. I think it's really critical to find someone who can step in. And I don't know if they can play at Sean Wade's level, but... What he did this year with that slot corner position was huge. And it can't just be an afterthought thing where you're just putting the third corner. I mean, they they had a great talent at that position this year, and that's where they could really miss somebody next year. Uh, From the 7-3-4, after holding Jonathan Taylor to less than 90 yards over the previous two meetings, is there a feeling that Taylor is due for a breakout game against the Buckeyes? He is pretty good. Yeah, he can be due. I mean, he's going to get it. I'm not sure we have to say anything more than that. (laughs) Um, I was disappointed that the defensive line from the six one four couldn't get pressure from someone else when they doubled chase. Is this only a Michigan game issue or something larger? I would expect Tyreek Smith or someone to get more pressure. Is it that Chase and Smith play the same position and it's always Chase and then Cooper or Harrison? Do they have a rush end versus a run end? Um, I don't think they do. Um, 
I think we just see Chase play linebacker a little bit more when they play a passing offense again. And people, when we did our video, when we tweeted out our video, we talked about this. How did after the game? How did they? Michigan did By a better holding. job, and everybody was like, "They held him. They held him. They, they held him." There so were plays. They put him in a chokehold. Like, yeah, yes. They literally put but, him in a chokehold. But I mean, like, I, I, as we know, like, so what? It didn't get called. So right. like, I get it. Yeah, Robin's racing again some, to some extent. And I didn't write it. I mean, Chase Young's dad said it. Chase Young's dad immediately after the game when I talked to him said they did a better job. Double teams yeah. with the tackle and a guard, keeping a back end, having a plan for him. If you hold him and get away with it, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I mean, that, that stuff, let's not pretend that that doesn't occasionally happen by Ohio State players. Who asked about, like, um, somebody asked Day, like, do they Austin. send, okay, do they send, okay, they send tape in. Yeah, it's which like, is which is a thing. I mean, that's a thing that happens across all sports. Well, yeah. You have that communication. Well, I don't know, like, I mean, <laughs> I just think they're going to use him in different, like, the way they used him against Wisconsin the last time. I think... They'll apply that to some teams who pass the ball more. From the, now. By the way, that's not just a, a complaining thing. It's like it's a conversation that happens between teams and the yeah the yeah. Referee. Oh no, I wasn't so, like like negating the question. Like it was a bad, it was a good just, question. Just, yeah, that's so. Um, I, I also think though that what I noticed when we watching that game just from the defensive side was in the second half with a lead. That's when you saw Ohio State really pin its ears back and start bringing six guys in pressure, whereas early in the game, I didn't think that was the case. And and it's that it's that wall of pressure that was really making an impact in the second half. And they can do that. Anytime you get a lead, uh, anytime Ohio State gets a lead like that, and that's why to. it's it's very treacherous for teams because mm-hmm. I don't know how you – I don't know how you operate with that just wall of humanity coming you, at you and every game. Because you, and it's because you have to now have these long developing routes because you have to make up for lost right. time. And that's where they were – yeah, and that's and that's why – that's how you get four of 20. And that's a credit to, like, Jeff Halfley. He talked about this yesterday, the fact that, like, just get the – to get the offense back to ball, and they're going to do something. Get the offense back to ball, because that continues to put pressure on the other team's offense to where, okay, now we have to score quickly. Well, if you're down by three touchdowns in the third quarter, well, you got to make up a large chunk of yards because you got to score with a quickness, and that works in the defense's favor. I'm going to write a story about this week. I think the, the game-changing thing in the Ohio State-Michigan series and the game-changing thing in the Big Ten, when Urban Meyer came to the Big Ten, the way he changed the game was with recruiting, yeah. and he changed the game, and everybody knows that. The way Ryan Day, I think, may change the game in the Big Ten, has to some degree, but we may see more reactions to it, is with the offensive pressure they put on people. You cannot try to beat Ohio State 20-13. to 13. And if you want to compete at the top of this league, it is not a conversation about how do we stop Ohio State, because you're not going to stop them. Not with this guy's offense, with these players. You have to score with them. You have to have a Maryland plan. You have yeah. to try to beat them 52-51. to 52 to 51. And, and I think we're going to have to see teams react to that. And I don't know that you're ever going to change Paul Christ or you're ever going to change Kirk Ferentz. But you have to understand. Michigan has the right idea. You have to try to run with them. It's up-tempo. It's passing. It's a quarterback run threat. It's all these things. And whatever the guys are, Day's going to find a way to use them. I think that has absolutely changed the game. And I think we saw it, as you guys said, with the way the Ohio State defense could play yeah. in the second half yeah. because of the pressure the offense was putting on Michigan to try to score but with them. into that, it's also why it's key for like Jeff Halfley to be like a top five recruiter, why it's key to have a Larry Johnson, why it's key that maybe Al Washington is the next like Larry Johnson whenever Larry Johnson decides to leave because you can't have that offensive pressure if you're not getting the ball back every six or seven plays. Will this entire coaching staff return next season from the 8-1-3? They have 10 assistants. Will all 10 be back? 
No. But no, but I don't think the guys that we think are gonna leave are gonna leave. Like I don't think Halfley's going anywhere. I don't think Al Washington's gonna leave. I don't think Halfley's going anywhere. His name gets thrown out there. I think he's gonna wait for a better job. I yeah, think, I think, I think yeah, I, I agree with that. Maybe Matt Barnes? Maybe cause just because he wants a, like a better a bigger role somewhere? Or Greg or no, I don't think Stud's going anywhere. He just brought in I think if Al Washington gets the BC job, he'll take it. There is a report out there from a Northeast writer who's covered college football up there for a long time. He's on the list. That Al yeah. Washington, and, and I wanted to write about this, maybe I will. I think Al Washington could be the Pat Fitzgerald of Boston College football. He's young. He's a former player there. He's dynamic. You have to take, when you're a program like that, the only way that a school like Northwestern or a school like Boston College is going to get a dynamic coach and have any hope of keeping him in a way where he can build something is, A, he's an alum, and he has a heart attachment to that school, and B, you get him early. You get him when nobody else would give him a head coaching job yet. Because as soon as Al Washington's like 35 or whatever he is, as soon as Al Washington's 39 and Illinois wants him to be the head coach, Boston College is never going to get him. You've got to get him now. Yeah. And if you're Boston College and you're spinning your wheels on the ACC and nobody gives two hoots about your football team, and there's some negative stuff coming out about Steve Adazio and former players and them just saying he didn't connect with them. Yeah. Or worse than that, he shoved them away. You need somebody who is going to come back in there and build something there. And Martin Jarmond is the athletic director there. He's a former Ohio State assistant athletic director. He's been there for a couple years. He is a smart young guy who might want to hire a smart young guy. Take that risk. I would hire Al Washington yesterday if I was Boston College. And if I'm Al Washington, i take it yesterday. Yeah, that's a huge, that would be a huge blow, Ohio State. It, I think so. You have to, and we can have this discussion. This will be a good December and January and February playoff discussion. Uh, everybody come in and make their coffee. Chris, we're doing the best we can, brother. The the idea is you must, if you can't replenish, then you're dead. And as we've mm-hmm. talked about earlier, it's like, hey, Ryan Day did a great job. He has a better coaching staff than Urban Meyer did. This is Ryan Day's A team. Urban Meyer was on his C team yeah. at the end. We're going to see Ryan Day's B team coming up. And that does, that's not like an insult to those coaches that they aren't as good. They just weren't the first guys on his list. Well, and I mean, no disrespect at all to Al Washington if he were to leave and take this job. But I mean... I don't know, if Ohio State wins a national championship, I think they can probably draw a pretty good running backs coach. Linebackers. Linebackers, linebackers coach, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. You, you must, and you must, and yes, you can, which is people who have listened to this podcast in years past know what I think of assistant coaches. If Ryan Day can't, that's on Ryan Day. And Urban Meyer misfired at times. Tom right. Herman, great. Tim Beck, terrible. Ryan Day, great. But in the conversation, there are the Larry Johnsons of the world where, like, I know you're under the like the premise of, like, all assistant coaches are replaceable. And you're right, 99.9% of the time, except when they're Larry Johnson. And if we're going to talk about Al Washington, like he can be Ohio State's Ryan Day's version of that, then like in this situation, like regardless of who he hires next, that is going to be a blow for a minute. If you can't replace Al Washington, that's yeah, that's it, that's and that's not about Al Washington. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's some of the misfires you're talking about that you that really stand out were coordinators, not just position coaches. Yeah, right, correct. I think coordinators are a, a much yeah. different impact than a position coach. I thought Tim Beck did a bad job coaching linebackers, and also Al Washington replaced the worst position coach at Ohio State in my tenure here, in Bill Davis. Um, oh, Bill! If you can't, but but here. 
It's just a point that I brought up before. A, you must be able to replace guys. Teams win with head coaches and players. Assistant coaches are middle managers. If that offends you, I don't care. No, wait, I mean that. If that offends you, I apologize. Maybe it means I don't have the pulse of this team or the pulse of college football. <laughs> or the pulse of college football coaching. Would you guys agree? What are your thoughts on whether <laughs> I think coordinators, coaches I think are coordinators completely are replaceable middle managers? I think coordinators are important because I've seen, I have seen before teams, and the one thing that would maybe give me pause about Al Washington, I don't know his full background. Has he been a coordinator at any level? No. Nope. It's, I, I, have, I have some hesitation based on things I've seen of programs – especially programs that need to be upwardly mobile, hiring someone who has not been a coordinator before to be the head coach. I think coordinators matter when it's the opposite side of whatever the head coach is. If you That's wait, a good point, too, potentially. Like, if, like Ryan no, is no, an right. offensive guy, so his defensive coordinator needs to be solid. Halfway is solid. Greg Madison has been solid. For sure. If, like, like Shiano and Alex Grinch weren't solid, and Urban Meyer's a offensive and special teams guy. And, like, because they weren't solid, the defense failed. No, so, you're right. Yeah, I think it matters when it's the opposite side. If we're talking about the discussion of whether Boston College should hire Al Washington, if you wait for Al Washington until he's a, until he's a coordinator, he's never going to be your head coach. Because he's going to go I, somewhere. I, see, I understand what you're saying. But you've got to take a shot. But you've, we've also seen a number of instances where that's been a problem. But you got to try. It's, it's been a problem at Boston College for 20 years. You're irrelevant in, right. in college football. This is your shot at being relevant. So I would not be surprised if Al Washington goes. One of these days, you have to make your top ten most irre- irrelevant college football teams in college football history. You have to name the year, too. Oh, no, no, I'll do that. Yeah. Be, no, you know what? I'll do a list of the ten teams that tried the hardest and it just didn't work out, but good luck to them trying their best. Would that be better? Yeah, because it's not mean. Yeah, no, I don't want to be it, mean. No, it's like underlyingly mean. I don't want to be mean. I don't want to turn Doug I don't want to turn people what? off from this podcast with my attitude and approach. He's going to literally um, throw a chair at one of us as soon as we're done. Oh yeah! Recording. No, I've completely changed. that mini fridge behind him. He's going to just pick it up. That's and going smash out the window. It was the meanest, meanest review or email I ever got, and it made me reevaluate my life. And if you would like to send me more comments about my podcast Do you know why it hit so hard? Because it was a lot of points they were making. It wasn't just vitriol and No, I told my and... family, I said my feelings are hurt. And they thought it was going to be like, hey, you big, big poopy jackhole. Yeah. And it's like, no, that's the stuff that slides off your back. The truth is what hurts. <laughs> every and single, it was, and every it wasn't sentence even, was another twist. And it was a very night. like well put like together like thing. Like I said, we had the whole afternoon we ordered pizza. Yeah. Very... Very tricky to say, oh, I unsubscribe. You were sleeping. It was easy. Let's. We're not going to get to everything. We never do. We appreciate it. I got to feed the meter. Last one. My question is, should we be concerned about Urban taking some key guys with him, like Mick Marotti, if and when he returns to coaching? A lot of smoke out here in L.A. about him coaching USC. My order for the Heisman is Young, Fields, and then Dobbins. That's from the 310. I don't Uh, think USC is losing its coach. I don't think USC is. Like, of all the stuff, can we believe that's where this ends? Urban's going to USC. Uh, I take that back. Urban is going to USC. Everybody's excited about it. What an interesting opinion that was earlier this year. Perhaps it was right. Perhaps it wasn't. But it was a valid opinion, no matter who expressed it. And here we are in a situation where they're not even going to have a coach that they need to hire. They're going to keep Clay Helton. Well, I mean, they're good. I mean, they won eight games this year. They're in the rank. I mean, they're USC had a good season. You I know they say they were good though. 
Oh, like, I, I think they were. They beat Utah. Is, I mean, yeah. I know Utah was a guy, but they. I mean, this you is know, USC we're talking about, though. I think they offered a little more hope for the future than people expected. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a good. good that's a good way to say it. Yeah, and and so I and maybe and who knows? Maybe there were discussions happening, back channel discussions, and if they weren't getting the feedback from Urban Meyer or whoever else they might have been talking to that they were going to hire. Because if you're gonna if you're gonna fire a guy who just went eight and four and is nationally ranked. You gotta know who you're replacing him with, and it's gotta be somebody. It's gotta be legit. a legend. It can't be Al Washington. No offense you, to Al Washington. I'm just using him as a stand-in. You for, might be right. The idea of, oh, sorry, Urban, they kept Clay Helton, might actually be Urban said no, so they kept Clay Helton. 100% what or, it was. or or anyone else. No, I mean, I, who I knows who else they But, but, but the Urban one or two that. or three people, Bob Stoops and Urban Meyer said no, you know, whatever it would they be. They reached out to Pete Carrillo to see if he was done in Seattle, if he wants to come back. And they were getting so we nose forgive and nose you. And nose. Come back yeah. to us. No, and that's, and that's a very valid point that I've been sort of making with the Browns and Freddie Kitchens is like, you've got to get out of the cycle of just firing people every time. Right. But you do reach a point, it is very different to make a coaching change when you have the guy lined up. Versus, we've got to get rid of this guy first, no matter what, and then we'll see what's out there. And you may also know, too, that while Urban Meyer, I think, is open, potentially, you've written about it, open to potentially returning to coaching someday, it doesn't mean it has to happen right away. He may still be there a year from now after you go 7-5, and they have a reason to fire I think he's got a short window of, like, if he'll come back or not. And if, like, he makes it out of that window, he's done. Why do you think that? I don't know. I just think... Like John Gruden, who, like, was in... TV for like seven years and went back. Yeah, that's that's wild. Mac Brown was in TV for several years. I think there's a, there's a history of some guys. Yeah, but you really recharge. I'm gonna be honest with you. Urban Meyer's good at this. Like I don't like oh, Mac no, Brown. That's a factor. Yeah, like sure. Mac Brown was uh, he was just Mac Brown and Gruden is just good at yelling at no, quarterbacks. No, I mean that's like, all part of the factor. But but also what would be interesting? People is, are learning football from Urban Meyer. And 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 you know what? Um, he should teach a football class. It's funny, and you saw Braxton Miller, the Big Ten Network had Braxton Miller on the other week, and they were putting out clips of that, and Braxton Miller was saying about Urban Meyer, the way that he's talking to viewers. It's usually how you talk to players. That's how he talked to us. That's how he explained the game to us. So, like, if, like, this, if if this is going to be his role and not just, like, Gruden yelling at quarterbacks, but why'd you do this? Or Mac Brown, like, being Mac Brown, then, like, this is a, like, solid, stress-free environment where he still gets to technically be a football coach without the stress of, like, winning and losing. Gruden had uh, the school thing. Yeah, that's all he did. I watched it. All he did was yell at quarterbacks all the time. That's all he does now as coach. Yeah, but, like, um, his quarterbacks he'd never seen before, and they just give him this tape on, like, Patrick Mahomes. he go, well, look what you did there! It's like, you have no idea what he did here, do you? This is this is 100% speculation. Um and, and then we'll stop, and we just couldn't get to everybody this week because we wanted to have that full-throated Heisman discussion. Um, if Urban Meyer said to them, maybe, not yet, maybe you give the current guy another year. Because That's what I if say, you yeah. make a coaching change, now you're on to the new guy. Right. And now you've shut the window on Urban Meyer. Keeping Clay Helton keeps the window on Urban Meyer open. If right. Urban Meyer said, you know what, I'm going to give this TV thing another year at least. I'm not interested yet. See, that's what I mean. There's a window. And I think he gets comfortable with what he's doing, and he's done. But if... And I you, mean, he you told got... me he told me that he likes the Mac Brown scenario. He really was interested in Mac oh, Brown recharging, <laughs> recharging for several years okay. and then finding a way to go back. Do you, do, you, do you also get an impression from Meyer? I mean, would he be the kind of guy who would be hesitant to take 
that USC job specifically under these circumstances. Because there are definitely people who looked at that, and when the report, apparently erroneous report, came out that he had been fired Six earlier years. this week, who said, boy, this ain't right. Like, what are you guys doing? Firing a guy who just went 8-4 and four and actually did something for your, you know, and had a good season? Like, would he be hesitant to be the guy who boots that guy? Or, out? because you're, and just because you just brought it up, and so now I can use this point. I mean, Texas wasn't like the best football program when Mac Brown left. Like, Urban left, like, in, like, a Michael Jordan type of way, where it's like, I mean, you, you coached in the one thing you never coached in, you grew up loving, at the school you grew up loving. Michael Jordan left on game six shot, and then he ruined it by coming back to the Wizards. Like, is there any, like, part of Urban that's like, don't ruin it by coming back and coaching the Wizards? No. There's the part of Urban that's like Michael Jordan that's like, I can't help myself, I have to come back at some right. point. Because yeah, that's it's, that's it, the better way. He's it's not. It's not that Urban Meyer would like look at Michael Jordan and learn from Michael Jordan. It's <laughs> that Urban Meyer is Michael Jordan. Learn from Michael Jordan. Don't play for the Wizards. But like, does Michael Jordan regret it? If Michael Jordan, I doubt it. No. If Michael Jordan had to do it over again, he's still Michael Jordan. People don't look at Michael Jordan and say, "Well, now he's the fifth best player of no, all time." No, they don't. But it definitely it definitely kills the story a little bit. But he got to do. He, he averaged twenty points a game. He got to play. Made another All Star team. He got to play basketball a little bit more. But he wasn't more. Michael Jordan. I mean, Favre is another example of a guy he who care would care that he wasn't Michael Jordan. That's fair. And it has not affected his legacy at all. He wasn't. And by he the wasn't way, peak Michael Jordan. But he wasn't peak Michael Jordan when he walked if, away if the last time. If we anyway. think we are going to live in a world <laughs> where like people in sports don't hold on too long, people in sports hold on too long. Every single day. And that's the problem. And it's not that they're, and they're never going to learn from it because the thing that makes you stick around and make you believe in yourself at the end when maybe you're wrong is what made you great in the first place. Your belief in yourself and that I can do this no matter what. Urban's going to play for the Wizards. Also the money. I thought it was funny. People people for a long time argued that that athlete careers are going to be shorter because they were making so much money that they wouldn't have to. I'm like, are you insane? Vince Carter used to be longer than ever. You can still make $20 million when you're 43 years old. Vince Carter should play another five years. As the worst guy on your team? Mack Brown, as Steven said, I had brought it up. Mack Brown was 8-5 at Texas in 2013. He's 6-6 at North Carolina this year. And he is dancing in the locker room. And people are talking about what a great job he did. (laughs) That was a six-year break. I, I'm not saying I'm not here to tell you that Urban Meyer is going to come back to coaching in six years, but like he thinks that's cool, and he has some Ohio connections right now with his family, with other interests. I don't so going all the way to Los Angeles right might not be the best time right now, but he's very young. He's gonna go and he is young. He is very young as a coach. Yeah, so he could. There is a way that you could find a way to come back, and I don't know. I don't know if Urban could do it, but and I'm just saying, like for instance. The idea, Urban's, I think, friends with Chris Peterson. Chris Peterson just got burned out at Washington. But Washington is a place where you can compete for a national title, mm-hmm. but you're not expected to compete for a national yeah. title. If you go 9-3 and three at Washington, they don't want to throw you in the Pacific Ocean. The idea that like Jimmy Lake at Washington tears it up and does an awesome job, and then in five years, Jimmy Lake gets hired as the head coach at Michigan or whatever. And Urban Meyer looks at that, and Chris Peterson, his friend, says, it's beautiful here. You've never lived in this part of the country. These fans love it. Why don't you come be Washington's coach for five years and see what it's like? See if you can do it here. But if you don't, you're not going to tear your hair out. And your grandkids can come visit you in Puget Sound, and everybody will be happy. Like, that is a fanciful thing. 
that's the kind of thing that like I don't think is impossible. Because Urban Meyer didn't have any connection to Utah, and he went to Utah, and they loved it. Right. He didn't have any connection to Florida when they went to Florida. He had the choice between Florida and Notre Dame. The two schools that he has a personal connection to in his life are Notre Dame and Ohio State. He picked Florida over Notre Dame. Now, because I think he thought he could win more there, but he went to where he wanted to be regardless of connection. I'm just saying. They like lakes. I don't know. I, I just Who does? I, like, But I don't think the idea of like he has to get back in now at a big-time place or he's done, I would, dis- I would disagree with that. Respectfully. And maybe I'm wrong. Because sometimes we're right and sometimes we're wrong. But aren't all our opinions valued? And aren't we as humans all valued? Here on Buckeye Talk, that is certainly the case. This is the best podcast I've ever been a part of. And we appreciate you listening to us. We will do our best to know as many players on the opposing roster as possible. I'm going to go home and study them right now. I will tell you, and I've told you guys this in the past, I think. There's a guy for Wisconsin named Van Ginkle a couple years ago. Something Van Ginkle. And we appreciated him in my house so much that my daughter, for a year or two, my daughter, who is not the sports fan, every white athlete that she saw on TV, she referred to as Van Ginkle. So that's how much we respect. Look at that Van Ginkle playing for the (laughs) Dallas Mavericks. You know, like that's how much respect (laughs) we have for Wisconsin football. So I guarantee you, by the time the game starts, I will know at least 43 players on that roster before Ohio State beats them by 60. Nathan. Steven, Doug, try the texts. We'll be in Indianapolis starting on Friday. Thanks to you guys for listening. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>